So welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Time now for our review show. Uh, we're going to be looking at books that were released in July 2019. Uh, this is obviously our August show. We always like to wait a little bit of time before discussing these titles in depth so that people have a chance to catch up. As ever, I'll throw it up at the start. Spoiler filled. Can't emphasize that enough. Um, so, yep, I'm joined as always by... Keith. And... Ronnie here. So... July was a big month, boys. A big, big month. <laughs> July was massive. <laughs> In terms, uh, five weeks and a whole stack of amazing comics. It could have been two weeks and it'd still be a yeah. big stack of comics. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes when we're putting together the review show, we're always looking at... We always like to look at titles that made a big impact. You know, it's... We do enjoy a lot of comics, but there are also ones that we'll, we'll pick up on a monthly basis. Read it, set it to say, go, yep, that was good, but forget about it. Move on to the next... But this July felt like a really special month, and it felt like a month of there was something for everyone. Whether you were an indie fan, a, a fan of DC, a fan of Marvel. Um, I have to say, for the store, this has been one of the busiest months since we opened. Um, been a really, really good, really good month for that as well. Why um, do you think that is? Just the, the, everything? the quality of the titles. Simple as that. Um, I mean, the first one we're going to talk about I'll just throw it up front straight away. The first one we're going to talk about is Hickman's return with the X-Men. The reason I want to talk about it just quickly before we delve into the titles themselves. So House of X and Powers of of 10. um, Both going to be six issue miniseries but essentially a 12 issue maxi series. The two titles. And an entire relaunch to the line. Complete relaunch. This is uh, geared at bringing in new and old readers alike. Leading up to this there was a lot of I don't want to say suspicion, but there was a lot of... People weren't really signing up for it. They were like, look, how many times are the X-Men going to be relaunched? Do I need another one? Why is it two different titles? I can't be bothered with this. Whatever. See, by the time House of X came out, our orders had tripled in a week because reviews were starting to filter through, hype was starting to build, and people were just thinking, I don't want to miss out on this. And... I think it's fully justified. Oh, biggest thing. Thus far? Yeah. Um, I've read, uh, I guess, the the uh, July releases where the first issue of both House of X and Powers of X. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit behind in my reading, but these were two that I that I managed to catch. In fact, I just read uh, Powers of X, Powers of Ten, uh, before we recorded, and I am super psyched about them both. Uh, the X-Men have... Matthew Rosenberg was on the X-Men for the past uh, year or couple of years with um, Uncanny X-Men yeah X-Men was it X-Men Blue he wrote no it was the, it was the Uncanny X-Men he came oh, on just with. Yeah, with so, so following the X-Men Gold X-Men Blue uh, thing so Uncanny X-Men uh, but it really just it was a great story but it felt like it was really from the time this was launched it felt like it was just holding the space it was finite yeah, yeah it was just holding the space until Hickman took over we know Hickman from uh, certainly his run on uh, Avengers up to Infinity and up through Infinity to uh, Secret Wars. Um, his uh, run on S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a fantastic miniseries if you haven't read it. Um, it's a reimagining of S.H.I.E.L.D., which involves you know how S.H.I.E.L.D. came to be through uh, Leonardo da Vinci, right way right back. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, all of Hickman's stuff is epic. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's The man likes writer. the word build. Yeah, big style big style um, and I think this is exactly where this is going so um, 
House of X, number one. Um, Pepe Larraz is the artist. He is known for a lot of work on Star Wars books. Uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. Um, some of the Ultimate Comics stuff, I mm-hmm. think. Um, we've all read House of X? Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, so, interesting. Uh, there's, there's a lot of little... Uh, Strange little symbols all over it. First of all, that uh, begin to have a little sense whenever you get into the book. Uh, it's beautifully rendered, um, beautifully written, and uh, it starts five months before. Um, Krakoa, the mutant island, is at the centre of everything. He, Krakoa himself is a mutant, um, and it all sort of seems to lead up to uh, to the um, the revelation of these mutant these these. Uh, flowers of cocoa, which are like seeds or drugs that do various things for humans and for mutants. Um, it, it's we we see figures throughout it that we're familiar with, maybe figures that we're not familiar with. But uh, it starts with uh, a group of uh, ambassadors being gathered by Xavier, uh, who is yet to be seen uh, uh, in Jerusalem at this. Habitat again. It's all very natural. There's a lot of um, fo- foliage and uh, you know trees and stuff growing up around this building. It all seems to be very crafted, and natural. And mm-hmm. they arrive in the scene, and they're going to be taken on a tour of. It turns out uh, the, uh, the the habitats, various habitats around the world, because using using the powers of Krakoa, uh, the mutants have created this um, network of portals. Uh, there's so much going on in this yeah. actually, you know. In fact, it's worth talking about the issue itself. It's not just the the, the comic side of it, but throughout it, there's various fact files, which is uh, a great idea. Yeah, gorgeous. It just, it, absolutely love it. It brings you up to date on, you know, all of the different aspects of it. The, so, the yeah. island of Krakoa. There is a bit about the flowers of Krakoa. Yeah. Um, what they do. Stuff about the drugs. Um, had info and bios on different X-Men mm-hmm. um, and I think it's important to note as well that the fact files are additions to the comic rather than instead substitutes of, yeah. for yeah, yeah, you know art pages so the world building the world building that's going on both in the story and in these sort of fact files telling you about I mean I guess the flowers of Krakow are the crux of it uh, the mutant island of Krakow is not just the home of mutants in the seat of their nation state it is also the only known producer and primary economic resource of the mutant nation, the flowers of Krakoa. There are three three drugs um, for humans. Human drug L, a delivery mechanism, um, is, a, is a pill. This flower produces a drug that extends the lifespan of humans for five years. That's valuable. Who doesn't want an extra five years? Human drug A, this flower produces an adaptive universal antibiotic, a super drug for humans. Okay, so who doesn't want that? You live yeah. longer and you're not as sick. Human drug M, this flower produces a drug that cures diseases of the mind in humans. So, you know, you're not sick and you, you, you're, any mental illness can be cured. Uh, for mutants, gateways. This flower through, grows a gateway, a pathway from where one, where one is planted to its twin gateway on Krakoa. So mutants can now get all around the world um, from very, Krakow. very quickly. Yeah, um, imagine the, uh, imagine the, I guess, the defence uh, implications of that uh, habitat, this flower produces a habitat a habitat of self-sustaining environment a biome that is part of the interconnected consciousness of Krakoa who is a living island and lastly no place this non-naturally occurring flower produces a habitat 
that exists outside the collective consciousness of Krakoa, a place within the island ecosystem that Krakoa doesn't know exists, a Krakoa tumour. I'm sure we'll be seeing more on that later. Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> even there, just to detail it, it's the one of them that is all in black yeah. as opposed to in red. So I guess we're seeing these, these ambassadors. Stop me whenever you guys are fed up because um, there's so much <laughs> going on here. Uh, we're seeing these ambassadors being... Uh, been welcomed into the the Jerusalem habitat, which is another habitat corrected to the nation state of Krakoa. Um, they meet uh, the Stepford Cuckoos and Magneto, now uh, dressed in white and silver, and clearly not in the service necessarily of Xavier, but uh, obviously on the same side as Xavier as an ambassador yeah. for Krakoa. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we're we're introduced to the Grey Malkin habitat, which is in Westchester, New York. To me, that says that is the original X school. Mm-hmm. That's the X school mm-hmm. we're used to. It's interesting as Magneto's introduced as well. Like you don't always think of him as a humble character, but he says, "I admit, I'm a poor substitute for Xavier." <laughs> so you're just seeing stuff that yes, exactly, is throwing you yep. straight away. Yep. We have uh, Jean Grey dressed in her original costume, her uh, original Marvel costume, uh, es- escorting young mutants clad in the uh, in the classic blue and yellow um, X Men costume. New X Men stuff, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. Uh, through a Krakoan um, portal, all the while explaining how these portals work and world building, uh, you know, just walk through and then we'll be on the island. And we've got uh, Doglock on the island, um, and he seems to be interfacing with, uh, he's creating interfaces with Krakoa so that the mutants can use Krakoa, you know, uh, can direct the portals and all sorts of stuff. So uh, Doglock's there, and I think that's. Um, Sage so we're seeing mutants that we recognise Krakoa seems to be like a mutant Eden um, Wolverine only appears very very briefly with a big smile on his face surrounded by kids <laughs> um, so it's actually great to see a, a, an X-book that for a change isn't dependent on Wolverine yeah. because mm-hmm. for years all of the X-books have depended on Wolverine I guess yeah. since the movies you know Um Xavier's there. Um, yeah, we, we meet him. Yeah, we finally meet him, and he's got this large cerebro-like helmet on his head with a light, you know, so it's kind of very stylized. Uh, well, he's communicating. There is that very quick scene just at the very, very start. Actually. Oh yeah, um, that's a just before uh, we jumped in. But there is a uh, two pages that are very sinister, very creepy, and not what you would associate with Xavier. No, you know, it it would appear that mutants are being grown. Xavier, um, yeah, is he growing mutants using Krakoa? And you have to assume that, like, again, my X-Men knowledge is not certainly what Keith says. I mean, is that supposed Cyclops? to be Cyclops? Yeah. Obviously, with the, the yeah. heat coming from the eyes, you can also see the first two that fall out of the pods. You've got the red hair. Is that Jean Grey? Well, of course, because Cyclops um, and Jean Grey are the Adam and Eve. Of- and then it's, <laughs> it's. I mean, Xavier, you always think of as this bald genius in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And here he is, standing, quite muscular, with this large helmet and even just the sinister smile and to me my X-Men mm-hmm. it just throws you for a loop straight away well big style big style um, yeah that's, that's actually a point worth mentioning so so yeah we we're, we're, we're start to see a little bit of life on, on Krakoa and then we, we segue to uh, to these uh, off world this off world um, expedition seems to be something close to the sun um, they're uh, these scientists uh, on board this um, ship are, are docking with a what looks like a station and we start to see that uh, we've got uh, Karima the Omega Sentinel um, 
and we've got Dr. Smith and Dr. Kane, people I, I do not know. And it looks like there's, uh, we're, we're talking, it looks like this station they're landed on is, is the center of which is the head of Master Mold, the, the ultimate sentinel. And uh, they talk about the Orcus protocol um, and uh, how predictive models forecast the extent of what Xavier was planning. So whenever we, uh, we cross the page, we, we find out the Orcus protocol is the initial establishment of Doomsday Network based on evolutionary research regarding the extinction level population density of Homo sapiens superior. So what we've been told is that within something like 20 years unimpeded, uh, mutants will outbreed humans. Um, and that uh, that all these different, th this this group called Orcus is made up of the remainder of AIM and Shield and Strike and Sword and Alpha Flight and Hammer and Armor and Hydra. And uh, they've, been, they've been trying to put plans in place in order to preserve humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so uh, it's really, really deep. It's really, really deep stuff. Uh, the next sort of section we go to, we have uh, Sabretooth, Mystique, uh, Toad. Isn't that all? Yeah. Yeah. And they look to be stealing something from Damage Control, which is the facility that uh, Damage Control or the group in Marvel who tend to clean up after superhero battles. Um, so, but we learn here that Damage Control, uh, while it is that sort of an entity, also operates an archival unit for government contested metahuman machinery and technology that belong to missing and incapacitated or deceased individuals where either a clear chain of custody does not exist or the items in question possess an existential threat to the United States and in actual fact we find out that most of this stuff is made up of stuff owned by Reed Richards and Tony Stark <laughs> surprise surprise <laughs> yeah. so they're stealing something like that they come up against the Fantastic Four they have the crap kicked out of them and uh, God, I just don't know. <laughs> There's so much in this book. There's so much in this book. You know, um, Cyclops appears in the scene. There's all sorts of issues about. And Cyclops almost is quite sinister, isn't he? Uh, in a very he happy way. Threatening. Well, yeah, he. I can't remember who he's talking to, but he certainly says something like, You're "Yeah, smart, this is my know. this is my world. Please deal with it." Yep, something uh -huh. like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they make so they make reference. A lot of this feels very new and very different. But then you know maybe all removed, new, all different. Well, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> all new and all different. But you know, and it seems removed from the Marvel universe until this point where Cyclops appears, shakes Ben's hand, and says, "And you, Ben, I hear you got married, Mazeltov." And we know that Ben got married very, very recently in the Marvel so universe. It's connected so now we're connected to, yeah. to the now we're right. connected to the mainline Marvel universe, which is very clever. Um, but yeah. Uh, there are there is a wee bit of a threat about Cyclops, you know the the idea that Sabretooth, who's now been captured by the Fantastic Four, is a citizen of Krakoa. He's a mutant and therefore should be returned under amnesty to to Cyclops. Mm -hmm. Reed Richard disagrees, you know. Um, and Scott makes you know he says, okay, fine, I can see you feel strongly about this. Why don't you keep him? We'll deal with it some other time, some other way. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, there's a great line of dialogue yeah. there where he's having a back and forth with Sue, uh, Sue and uh, Sue's like, "What are you all thinking?" You know, all this stuff Xavier's doing, and Scott Summers, you know, pipes back with, "My family has spent our entire lives being hunted and hated. The world has told me that I was less when I knew I was more. Did you honestly think we were going to sit around forever and just take it?" You know, the language is threatening yeah. without. 
but it's confident it's yeah. confident and but then the threat seems to be it's not a threat but it's he says it's really very simple Susan I believe in what Charles Xavier is doing please greet your son for me and tell him when he's ready he has family in Krakoa waiting for him making reference to the fact that Franklin Richards is a kind of mutant um you know and then we talk about yeah that's there's just there's there's too much going on here just to we could we could probably do a whole podcast on these two issues and what's interesting as well and it's something i didn't really pick up on the first time but something keith pointed out to me is that there's subtle clues the whole way through for this language that yeah hickman's using and i was just flicking through it there and i saw that there's a, a part where the ambassadors are being laid around and there's yeah. a door with four symbols above it uh-huh and one of them says, am I supposed to be able to read that? And they're told, of course not. It says nothing. It's gibberish. <laughs> but you can clearly see the four symbols, which makes me think, if you work back through the book, you will you will be able yeah. to figure that out. Because I was looking at those four letters. I thought maybe it was just exit. But um, Yeah, so it's that's the, that's the, that's the Krakowin language. That's yeah. Krakowin. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to going back through this and writing out an alphabet yeah and, and that's exactly what you can do trying to deconstruct uh, it again showing the lengths that you know Hickman goes to yeah I mean you can the, you can tell that at the very very start you can see what House of X is in this symbol and therefore you can translate and you can a lot see of letters, one yeah. can but see. it's the end that's quite chilling um, it's the end that's quite chilling where uh, where uh, the ambassadors have finished their tour and um you know that effectively Magneto asks one of the cuckoos to deconstruct what's going on reveals the ambassadors are members of various defense places or not who they're supposed to, supposed to be and one of the ambassadors says so you're you summoned us here to Jerusalem to what threaten us and Magneto's looking out across uh, Jerusalem says a promise is not a threat ambassador and I summoned you to this place for wholly superficial reasons you see I know how you humans love your symbolism almost as much as you love your religion and I wanted you I needed you to understand. He looks back over his shoulder and says, "You have new gods now." <laughs> it's very, very good stuff. So that's uh, that's House of X, uh, number one. Any thoughts on that, Roddy? <sighs> too, too many to digest. I I only read House of X. I uh-huh. did not go for Powers of X uh, just because I read it before. Um, wasn't really thinking about X Men. Mm-hmm. Just have no it's scary to think about it. Almost to try and get into it. But yeah. What what a first issue. What Unbelievable. A, yeah. It, not just the world. Like the world building, obviously, is fantastic. But it's there's little interactions between the characters. There's a lot of the back matter, which I absolutely adore. Stuff like that. Yeah. The sort of reinvention of all the classic characters. I love still not sure about the Professor X freaky helmet thing going on but sure we'll see um, but definitely something I would consider picking up um, the only negative I find was the all your back matter mixed in with comic pages and then with adverts was a bit annoying but right, like, that's, okay. I mean that's par for the course like, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I see what at least mean. there wasn't a Snickers ad in there no that's true <laughs> Uh, what is what did what did you reckon on? Yeah, I was I was blown away by it to be honest. Um, I'm a little I'm a little lacking in my knowledge of X Men when it comes to comics. A lot of my knowledge comes from the X Men cartoon, from yeah. the movies, um, from events here and there that I've read, things like House of M, things like that, Avengers versus X Men. But when this was coming along, 
as I say, we didn't have loads of pre-orders for it, but I was excited, and I, lo- I love Hickman. He writes a really great indie series called East of West, which I'm a big fan of. Um, but the first issue of House of X has blown away. I, uh, given the sheer volume of ideas, the sheer amount of characters, yeah. for it to read as straightforward as it did was a bit of a miracle, I thought. Um, so, yeah, I thought yeah. it was off to a great start. I will admit, with Powers of Ten, I struggled a little bit more with it, but I've since sort of chatted to Keith about it and now I want to go back and read it again with sort of a clearer head mm. I think I just misinterpreted something at the very start of Powers of Ten that sort of yeah. informed yeah. the rest of the issue um, yeah I, I would say yeah. so House of X Powers of Ten yeah, well I, yeah I think, I think so yeah so there's a reading order at the back this this is where it, it, it is interesting that they chose to release it like this because I think it would have been just as easy to just call it you know House of X and do 12 issues but at the back you have the reading order and it will be the order they're released so it goes House of X Powers of Ten House of X Powers of Ten Powers of Ten House of X House of X Powers of Ten House of you know it's yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's almost it's a maybe it's a weird thing to say but it feels like a very grown up comic book like there's loads to decipher you need to pay attention you know you need to read them in this order it's um I agree, and it, it's a, it's, and it's exactly what you said. It's a, it's a lovely mixture of the familiar and the absolutely alien. Mm. You know what I mean? That's what I find. I, I found I was, I was uh, familiar with the characters, though. Still don't know what's going on with Professor X. Don't know what's going on with the, the these mutants. Can't understand why Jean Grey's wearing her classic Marvel girl costume. Why Cyclops is wearing his uh, Avengers versus X Men costume, his pre death costume. Why Magneto's in white. You know, so I don't know where who who these mutants are, what the connection is to the last run, if any. Probably doesn't need to be because yeah. obviously Hickman is st- trying to start with a clean slate here. Um, yeah, it was just there's enough in there that I was like, oh, I recognise this, and, and but then wee moments like that, that moment where Cyclops congratulates Ben on his marriage, you're going, okay, so this is yeah. the Marvel universe, part of so, the main yeah, continuity, exactly. So. Yeah, um, and with Powers of X, or Powers of Ten rather, well, issue one is subtitled The Last Dream of Professor X, um, uh, and I think issue one of uh, issue one of House of X was the house that Xavier the built. The house that Xavier built, yeah. So it seems more like a... I can see why they've, I can see why they've released them as two separate titles, because this seems more like a, a history book, mm-hmm. or but be that a past history or a future history. Book, so we're we're now discovering where the X Men story that we're reading in House of X fits into the entire history of the X Men, um, and we f- and we figured out why it's called Parts of Ten. Yeah, we have. Yeah, you know, the first page you have that Xavier, which is year one, and then you have ten years later, which of course is one t- to the power of ten is ten. Uh, so the X Men is shown year ten, the world. Then multiply that by ten again, you get year one hundred. It's subtitled the war. Yep. And then you multiply that one hundred by ten again, you get year one thousand, which is ascension. Yeah. X to the power of zero, X to the power of one, X to the power of two, and X to the power of three. Yeah. Cool. So this is really interesting. Um, so we've got these four time periods: X to the power of zero, which is year one, which is the dream, uh, and that appears to be the past. Um, so. So ten years in the past to what's happening in House of X, mm. right? Okay. X to the power of one is year ten, the world. So that appears to be what's happening in the House of X. So we can assume that everything that has happened in the X Men, I think, in in the history of the X Men, has happened between 
year one and year ten. Yeah. Yeah. So all all we know about the X Men has probably been compressed into there. So, uh, and then we have year one hundred and year one thousand. So we'll be we'll be starting to see the near future and the far future. So, uh, so the story is split along those ways. And Alan was talking about his confusion, and the confusion is that whenever they're first introducing, whenever they're first showing these 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 eras, they show. Charles Xavier's face as we know it we see Charles Xavier's face with the Cerebro helmet on that we're now familiar with having Red House of X uh, we see a robotic face which is like a to me I immediately sort of saw it as a Nimrod Sentinel which is a sort of near future Sentinel and then this this other uh, blue humanoid face that does bear a, a resemblance to Charles Xavier so you were making the assumption that all of these were Charles Xavier. Yeah, I mean, I thought yeah. maybe Which is like, not an unfair like his consciousness had maybe been uploaded yeah. or something like that. Like maybe even that's what this large Cerebro was essentially doing was, you know, maybe saving his intelligence almost that he could then yeah. pass yeah. on and so forth. And with that last one, that almost looked like a, a mixture of organic and robotic to me. Mm. Um, so I, I just, I don't know, it's just the way it was set up. I thought it was... Xavier in four uh, different ways almost you notice that figure there in the last one has one of those sigils on his cheek I wonder which one that is yeah <laughs> <laughs> time to get the uh, fan glass so year one uh, it uh, takes place at a renaissance fair uh, we have a young Charles Xavier meeting possibly not for the first time a young Moira McTaggart it would be easy to mistake that young Moira McTaggart for a young Jean Grey but that's not the case it's Moira uh, Charles uh, one time love and a world-class geneticist who worked with Charles Xavier and together they came up with in classic X-Men history at least they came up with the idea of Charles's dream um, but uh, there's a wee uh, I look forward to reading House of X too. oh excellent just remember this sequence okay well cool and that's why again this yeah. is going to be an awesome series uh, there's a wee nod in here uh, to some tarot cards and uh, we see the magician the tower and the devil uh, these are characters who will be appearing later. Um, uh, yeah, so pretty cool stuff there. Uh, we then pitch up into year 10, which takes place, uh, dovetails directly into House of X. We we talked about earlier Sabretooth, Mystique and Toad trying to steal this pen drive, this zip drive from... Uh, oh God, zip drive, that's a very old thing. <laughs> Thumb drive from uh, from damage control whenever Cyclops, the Fantastic Four chase them, Cyclops appears. Mm -hmm. So this, we never see what happens to Mystique and Toad whenever they disappear through the portal. This is what happened. They right. disappear through the portal. Mystique gives the pen drive to Magneto. There's a, there's a conversation um, between Magneto at the House of M and uh, Charles at the House of X. Um, there's a conversation about uh, owing, about what, what Mystique feels she's owed for doing the job. The fact that helping her fellow mutants should that not be enough Charles talking about we're building a better mutant world mistake and everyone who lives in it owes something uh, it's a wee bit sinister we segue then to uh, X to the power of 1 no X to the power of 2 no where are we well, this is on. the year 100 so yeah, X2 yeah it is X2 but it does say X1 yeah, the X-Men year 100 the misprint there but so we're in the northern territory or is it a misprint I, I think it is <laughs> I think it is so it's year 100, uh, we have uh, Omega Sentinels and uh, all the, the, you can tell by the coloration there are kind of Sentinels uh, tracking down these mutants and uh, sort of systematically killing them off. Uh, a mutant appears who bears a striking resemblance to 
Eliana Rasputin and her soul sword, but she also has Colossus's um, steel skin and a variety of other bits and pieces. Uh, there's another mutant hiding in the background here who seems to bear a striking resemblance to Nightcrawler, but his skin is red. Uh, the the Rasputin character is trying to, to rescue another mutant who is eventually captured. Um, and then we again go into the back matter here. Um, we talk about Sinister Line, the mutant breeding program. Um, how, under the expert hand of Chief Mutant Geneticist, Mr. Sinister, uh, you know, mutants were bred uh, through a number of generations. First generations of Sinister mutants were uniformly designed to be divergent copies from a singular DNA source, in other words, more or less clones. Uh, the second and third generations were referred to as chimeras. Chimeras are those that have mixed genes. Mm -hmm. So um, the second chimera generation produced mutants that had DNA composed of two separate X genes, resulting in mutants with a predictable combination of parsets. Third chimera generation produced mutants with an amalgamated DNA featuring up to five genes. Uh, talks about failure rates and this third generation, uh, how they were universally successful against the man-machine supremacy, so that's the first mention of that. Um, so yeah, we're starting to see a wee bit of world building and we see, yeah, it's, uh, it, it talks about the fourth generation of Sinister Mutants suffered a systematic a systemic failure. The entire batch of these Omega-based Chimera Mutants were produced with a corrupted hive mind that was only discovered to be defective after they destroyed 40% of the remaining mutant population and caused the fall of Krakoa itself. So. This is in the future of what's happening in House of X. Yeah, so it's all tying together. Um, so it's really exciting stuff. Uh, we talk about the, the betrayal and outliers and uh, and this sort of stuff. So um, we're introduced to Nimrod the Lesser uh, at the uh, at the Tower of Nimrod um, and what looks to be uh, the Omega Sentinel from House of X. Um, if you get back here, uh, we talked about these um, people that were in the or in Orcus, the Orcus Collective, who were travelling to the sun mm -hmm. and docking. Um, there's a, an Omega Sentinel here, Karima, who bears a striking resemblance to this individual here yeah. in uh, Powers of X, mm. but 100 years in the future. Um, so yeah, there's a lot going on here. There's an awful lot. Interesting as well, this all relates to the tarot cards yeah, as well. It does. You've got the Tower, which is the Tower of Nimrod, then you've got the magician and the devil, which is Rasputin, and uh, yeah. So yeah, we, we there's there's talk of hounds, uh, which sort of dates back to the extinction agenda and the original X Men. Uh, hounds were, were mutants who were designed to hunt other mutants. Um, we see Krakoa is still a place. We see uh, the No Place Hub, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, one of the one of the uh, one of the flowers of Krakoa for mutants created a thing called No Place. All right. So if you go back to House of X, Alan, <laughs> No Place, and then you go to Powers of X, you can the see no the, the end of this No Place hub, yeah. which is what do they say? A Krakoa, a Krakoa tumor, a part, an area that Krakoa in Krakoa that Krakoa can't detect itself. Um, and we're in it just it looks like an elderly team of X Men. Um, I do not know what's going on there. There's a, a Wolverine and a Magneto type, and a, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on here as well. <laughs> Something that looks a wee bit like Groot, but with a beard. Um, 
Yeah, he's some sort of Groot Swamp Thing hybrid. Yeah, which could in itself be, uh, be, a, be a version of Krakoa, so and a Magneto in a green outfit, and then your man, whose name I can't remember, standing there in the background. <laughs> um, and then later then, shortly, we go to X3, the uh, X-Men Year 1000, and uh, we see this blue-faced individual, um, and uh, what looks like... Um, mutant ascendancy and they're keeping humans in a preserve but they seem to be Adam and Eve like humans you know looks like a version of uh, Cerebro there as well yep sitting cross-legged yep you're exactly right Um, yep so a lot a lot going on in these two (laughs) books so much going on in these two books Um, but in and in excuse me in an exciting way yeah big style big style absolutely Feeling any better about it, Alan? <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I mean, <laughs> I I always say the best comics are the ones that a make you think and b give you re re reading value. I should say, um, and that definitely is with this. I mean, as I say, you're ready to pull out the file pad and the pen and start making your own <laughs> charts and starting to yeah. decode hidden messages and all this kind of stuff. So. Um, but yeah, I think I just had, as I say, that fundamental misunderstanding at the start, which sort of just informed the rest of the book almost, and maybe got me slightly confused, but I am getting a little ahead of myself here, but House of X 2 really brought me back again, because House of X is, for me, the better of the two so far. I know it is all one story, but yeah, House of X 1 and 2, I think, have been among the best stuff of the year mm. so far and I'm, so. I'm be interested to see how this dovetails into the, the new titles and because uh, there's yeah. a lot of new titles yeah. to come yeah, yeah. there'll be six, yeah. six popping out of it I mean the main one to follow will be X-Men itself because it is Hickman so you, you have to think that's the direct continuation of all these plot threads but uh, you will have also Marauders and New Mutants and um, Excalibur and what else have we got Fallen Angels and X Force, no. There's one other. Can't think. I uh, Excalibur, Excalibur, Fallen Angels, Marauders, X Men, New Mutants, and I think it's one of the more obvious ones as well. Oh god, I uh, yeah yeah. It'll be all right. It'll come to us. Yeah, it'll come to us at some point. Um, but yeah, I think mainly Keith's just very excited to be able to replace the War Report with the X Report. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just excited to see. I'm excited to see the X Men back in a place where they should be. You yeah. Know, yeah, back to up where they're Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, after after the after years of uh, of mucking about with you know almost getting rid of the X Men in favor of the Inhumans because Fox owned the property, yeah. you know, and they felt they were just advertising for their movies, you know, to you know, the same all, Fantastic yeah. Four as well. Yeah, so it's it's just nice to see because yeah, and it's nice to see something fresh being done. Yeah. Know, so very very cool very cool very pleased excellent and I mean we, one of the reasons we started with that as well I mean the relaunch so far has been unqualified success it was they were the biggest selling issues of the month um, from from all companies House of X outsold parts of them by a few thousand units it was close it almost seemed like there was no drop off which right. usually get between an issue one and issue mm. essentially this is an issue one and issue two of one big story but there was very little drop off. The critical acclaim's been high. Everyone seems really happy mm. with this. So mm. it's. Um, and I think you could probably. I think from what I can see, you could read House of X without having to read Parts of X. Mm. You know, you're just. You've got House of X and then you've got Parts of X, which is giving you the context, which is yeah. giving you. 
you know, the larger. Like, could you read Powers of X without House I of X? I believe you could. Yeah. yeah, I believe you could. I would love to see the whiteboard at Jonathan Hickman's home that worked wow. all of this out. Yep. Whiteboards. His <laughs> mind map. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. Um, after that, I think every other comic's just going to feel small this month. <laughs> And just like we're we're reading things that were drawn with crayons, and well, that's that's the that's the worst part of it. This month is that everything was awesome. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll we'll nip away then from what we call the X report and uh, move over to what I've tentatively labelled the bat corner. I think, yeah, I think um, you missed, as Roddy said earlier, you missed a, a bat cave metaphor there. Yeah, I mean, that might have been... Oh, yeah, okay, you're right. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, anybody who comes into the store listens to these podcasts, and obviously I'm a huge Batman fan. There's always a lot of um, quality titles out there, Bat-wise. And this month was no exception. Um, we're entering the endgame of Tom King's run on the main title. We've got White Knight coming back with uh, Sean Murphy back on that. You've got Detective Comics, for me, continuing to be a lot of fun. And then you had last night, number two, uh, with Schneider continuing his last um, hurrah on the title. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to kick off a little bit with Batman 75. So this is, as I say, this is Tom King's last um, arc that he's going to be doing before leaving the main Bat title and moving on to Batman Catwoman with Clayman. Um, But with this one, he's paired with Tony Daniel. And it jumped quite a bit. Batman 74 ended with... um, Batman out in the middle of the desert with fighting his father and it ended with a glove coming up from what was essentially a Lazarus pit and you just assumed it was Bruce so you assumed it was going to be straightforward we should really know better mm-hmm. because we jump from that which seemed like a really heroic moment to a new version of Gotham where the Joker and Riddler are partners uh, you've got Hugo Strange yep, yep. you've got mm-hmm. Hugo Strange in the Commissioner Gordon role You've got um, Thomas Wayne back as uh, Flashpoint Batman. He's got a new Robin, which is a female Robin, which is Gotham Girl, which again links back to Tom King's first, first arc. arc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hunting other criminals in this new version of Gotham. You've got someone um, trekking through the mountains looking for someone, uh, which is then later revealed to be Selina Kyle, who finds Bruce uh, in the middle of like what I presume is probably going to be the Nepalese mountains. Um, again, there's a is lot where, of... St- is that where uh, Ra's al Yeah. Yeah. So, again, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in this. It's not quite as, you know, keen lyrish as... <laughs> uh, by comparison to the House and Powers of Ten, but I'm really digging this. It, it seems to me that the, the Tom King run... It could be accused of being a little plotting there for a while. The Nightmare Arc wasn't for everyone. Um, the Hunt and the Hunted was a wee bit slow moving, but I feel like we're definitely entering what looks like it'll be the end of the story. And I also got to throw a special mention out there for the great Brooklyn Nine Nine reference in Batman seventy five, where the Joker and Riddler are sitting um, are sitting at the desks in the police station. And you can see Detective Santiago has been scored out and replaced by Riddler. And Detective Peralta has been scored out and replaced by Joker. But also if you look in the background, you can see Tom Keane's really awful Batman sketches that he does at conventions <laughs> on the bulletin boards as well. Um, and the Joker's even drinking from a mug that says, I am God. Uh, so yeah, I think there's there's tons to love in this. I think Tony Daniels' art as well is pretty damn awesome. Really action packed. Um, 
yeah really really loved Batman 75 I have to say I'm really excited for where it's um, going from there um, <clears throat> you're not really on any of the bat titles are you Roddy? nope just uh, apart from last night one we'll talk about in a minute yeah. um, I think I am waiting for Curse <clears throat> of the White Knight in mm-hmm. graphic novel form oh are you trade waiting for I am indeed yeah well this is this is the interesting thing with certainly with King's Run I find because as if I don't read it enough at the moment I've went back and I've started reading his run from the start and it is a run that works so much better in trade. I envy you yeah. I, I envy you being able to step outside your pull list and read things that <laughs> for the second time yeah well it, it, sometimes you, you just have to go back to these stories but I just I think with King's run it's so because it is one big run I find that there's details in this that'll be referenced in earlier issues um, I think he has been really good at world building as well in this case so I just like going back and, and doing that but um, <clears throat> Curse of the White Knight just as, as Roddy stated there just came back so this is the sequel to um, White Knight which was easily one of the most acclaimed Batman runs yep. in recent years uh, Curse of the White Knight it certainly opens differently to how I was expecting Black Label Black Label it's a different size than expected which makes Keith happy it fits yeah. in a normal comic bag yep. in a normal well, comic box well they did amalgamate the first one into Black Label they did yeah. Trade, yeah. Trade well I also think as well if White Knight's a certain size you can't really yeah. make a sequel to it a different yeah. size and why would you it doesn't need <clears> it it doesn't need it no I mean we've, we've talked about this before I, I didn't think Batman Damned really needed it but I did like year one I, I thought the colours really popped on the bigger canvas but yeah, Curse of the White Knight. It starts off what is it in the 1600s? Uh, 1685 in uh, Arkham Manor, and we have uh, we have um, let me see what do you call him? Uh, Arkham, uh, is it Lord Arkham uh, versus Lord Wayne. Lord Arkham bears a striking resemblance in some parts to the Joker, actually, mm-hmm. uh, laughing maniacally. Um, is it Amadeus Arkham? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Amadeus Arkham's the founder of Arkham Asylum. So this would be even pre that. Mm. Yeah. So uh, and there's a there's a general stuck in the middle. Um, this general has certain um, sigils and uh, uh, symbols on his on his clothing. But uh, Lord Wayne, clearly one of Bruce's ancestors, slays uh, Arkham, stabs him through the chest, drops him down into a hole in the middle of a well in the middle of Arkham Manor. And uh, the sun sets over it all, um, and then we pick up an Arkham Asylum today, uh, looking in, uh, looking in in uh, silhouette, very similar to uh, Arkham Manor did back in sixteen eighty five, and uh, we have uh, the Joker, uh, our former Jack Napier um, from uh, White Knight, uh, threatening the. Uh, the warden effectively uh, and he needs to be taken back to his old cell convinces the warden to do that joker extracts something from the cell that is this city's biggest darkest secret and the beginning and the end of gotham the joke only i know about um so he covers his ass um remind me what happened to alfred at the end of white night died alfred died well that yeah. makes sense okay so we have bruce wayne uh reading a, the last letter from alfred and uh, alfred has left him something um under the, the floorboards of his bedroom and that's something appears to be the uh, the diary of uh, Edmund Wayne which is labelled dated 1685 mm. so that's the date that we've already you know so so yeah it's I mean it's it's the, 
Sean Murphy's writing and art is fantastic. Um, some great, great dialogue, great narratives. Um, Batman, the, the the White Knight, Batman, who is now notably different from mainline Batman. You know, he's a, oh, very much. So this is like the Murphy verse, so to speak. You know, he's got a collar on his cape, and you know, <laughs> a wee bit, a wee bit Sherlock Holmes ish uh, in some ways. But yeah, he's definitely a, he references the Batman Devastation Fund and. Uh, the good that, that Napier did so they find themselves under Arkham uh, in track of dragging the Joker down and uh, they find a buried body um, and so forth so uh, meanwhile Joker has escaped and is up to mischief well what I've enjoyed about the first issue is that it's um, both the main characters so to speak are doubting themselves uh, with Batman he He's not that naive not to think that when Joker was Jack Napier that he didn't do good for yeah, the city. At yeah. one point, I think he even says, like, he achieved more in six months than I have in 20 years. But at the same time, the Joker's doubting himself because everyone's looking at him as being soft because it was like, remember when you were a good guy? And remember, oh, yeah, yeah. And Joker. he's like, I'm going to tear down everything mm-hmm. Napier ever did. Yeah, but he doesn't see himself as Napier. Yeah. He sees himself as a totally different individual. So it almost makes him a bit two-faced-ish as well. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it eventually it comes around to uh, we've got this uh, this individual, uh, John Paul, John Paul Valley, John Paul Valley, who uh, is a, a vet. Uh, he seems to be uh, does he have cancer from exposure to uh, Agent Orange or something? And uh, he seems to be haunted by uh, religious visions. That all sounds fairly uh, fairly familiar. Um, he's a he's a caretaker at a local church. And uh, Joker comes to him and reveals the the great secret that he had is this sword which he presents to John Paul Valley, uh, which appears to be a flaming sword, and sets him on the mission to destroy the man whose family has cursed Gotham, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of similarity between um, some of the symbology surrounding uh, John Paul Valley and the symbol the symbology on the. Uh, the clothing of the general mm-hmm. at the very very start in 1685 so um, so yeah that's uh, pretty cool stuff looks like a worthy successor yeah I mean that's that's essentially what I've told everybody who's who's been interested in the title it's a case of if you liked White Knight you'll love this if you didn't like White Knight this won't change your mind it's if you didn't like White Knight what's wrong with you yeah <laughs> well you know believe it or not there are one or two people out there who weren't fans but oh um, but yeah that's it I mean it's Murphy has very much got his, his style set in stone whether it's his art style or his writing style mm-hmm. and I like that he reimagines these classic characters in, in different ways I mean John Paul Valley famously took over the mantle of the bat when Bruce Wayne had his back broken in Nightfall yep so this is a very different take on him he's almost like a broken old man in this yes and uh-huh. then it's going to be given new purpose yep. so um, I'm really looking forward to seeing where that goes it'll be an 8 issue one again um, I love the continuation of the the whole idea of the GCPD and uh, mm-hmm. the fact that uh, Nightwing and, and Batgirl are members of that. Yeah, you know, with uh, with uh, the various versions of the the Batmobiles and and all of that. You know, Bruce Bruce briefly considers revealing his identity to to Gotham. Yeah, um, well, so, Gordon yeah, knows his identity in this yeah, um, yeah. in this continuity as well. So yeah, um, yeah, really digging that. As I say, it's. It's something, as Keith says, that exists outside the main continuity. So even if you're just interested in a Batman title, it's it's definitely a good one to good one to hit. 
Um, just wanted to throw out a quick bit of love for Detective Comics 1008. Um, simply because it's a bit of a throwback issue. It's a very much a one-shot, one-and-done. You know, here we are talking about Tom Keen's 85 issue art. Uh-huh. We're talking about eight-issue miniseries. But sometimes you just need a really fun one-and-done. And the crux of the story was just that the Joker had taken over a fairground. Uh, he threatened to blow people up unless Batman came and joined him. Uh, really straightforward story. It's Peter J. Tomasi writing Doug Mahank on art. But uh, I just thought this was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, there's parts in it where Batman turns up to the fair and they like go around and dodge him cars and they you know go on rides together and Joker's like trying to say about how much fun this is and they go in the tunnel of love which like there's a lot of references to classic Joker Batman stories tunnel of love of course Dark Knight Returns um, there's stuff at the very end regarding um, it's a throwback almost to Chinatown where people would always say the fan line oh forget it Jake it's Chinatown oh yeah <laughs> but at the end of this it's um, where is it it's Bulland Park I think it is because it's a little um, yeah drag the river maybe there's a body and Gordon's like forget it Batman it's Bulland Park and of course Brian Bolland the uh, artist on Killing Joke mm-hmm Interesting enough, this is an issue that uh, led Keith to drop Detective Comics. Yeah, that's true. And it's not necessarily because there was anything wrong with it. Um, I was really into Detective Comics back whenever it was all about the Bat family, Mm -hmm. you know, and Tim Drake and uh, and Batwoman and Clayface and all that good stuff. And that's Tomasi, isn't Mm -hmm. it? So um, I guess uh, I enjoyed the Arkham Knight yeah I was going to say what happened to him I enjoyed the Arkham Knight her her, her. I enjoyed the Arkham Knight I don't, I don't read it yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I enjoyed the it Arkham was a five issue arc I enjoyed it alright yeah I jumped back on it <clears throat> on the Detective uh, Comics after that, and I enjoyed it alright but I think against the backdrop of Tom King's Batman mm-hmm. City of Bane against Sean Murphy's uh, White Knight uh, Snyder and Capullo's Batman Last Night on Earth it just doesn't feel yeah, it's too whimsical. It, yeah. it doesn't yeah, it doesn't feel like essential Batman to me. It feels it's too much of a you know, going from that to Batman sitting in a bumper car with a Joker, just going, hmm. I just it wasn't for me. It just you know, couldn't uh, couldn't do it. I just enjoyed the ridiculousness yeah. of it. Um I just think sometimes it's all very weighty and very serious yeah. and it was too much of a gear change for me yeah. and, and I was again I was I was on the edge with Detective Comics anyway, so no, that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, so that was Detective 1008. Um, but for me, the standout issue this month, Batman-wise, was Last Night, number two, uh, Schneider and Capullo. This was an issue that, um, similar to a certain Spider-Man title we'll chat about later, that the whole way through it, I was just like, this can't get any better. And then you turn a few more pages and be like, it just got better. Yep. And it just got better. And it just got better. Um, this is the second issue of a three issue series second so this is the middle part which for me when it comes to trilogies I have always this theory that the middle one is the hardest one to get right you don't have the joy of discovery of setting everything up you don't have the joy of a conclusion you essentially got to keep the story moving but you know there's not going to be an ending to it it's the difficult second album it is the difficult second album it's the two towers of the trilogy it's you know there are exceptions of course sometimes the middle ones are the best but um, Empire Strikes Back that's a lie. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> what? Return. That's just crazy talk. No, that's not. <laughs> okay, slight segue here. No, no, no. We don't have time for segues. 
Empire Strikes Back <laughs> is the most overrated Star Wars movie of them all. If it didn't have that turn at the end with Vader and your father, it would not be remembered. Okay, end segue. Uh, he clearly hasn't seen this plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we don't have time for segues, Keith's right. Um, but yeah, so anyway, last night, um, so the first issue I thought was great. This one really did seem like a step up. Um, it seemed like a step up art-wise. It seemed like a step up in terms of incorporating the entire DC universe into it instead of it just being a Batman yeah, story. A lot more spectacle to it. Lots of spectacle, lots of fun with it as well. You know, that that was quite chilling actually. The Speed Force storm. Yeah. Uh, this the Speed Force storm that uh, you know it led you to dust or down to baby cells. Um, but whenever the Speed Force storm appears. Uh, you can see a mix of uh, all the different of Barry places. Allen and Bart and Jay Garrick, you know, and probably Wally West in there somewhere, as if they've been caught up in the Speed Force and they're screaming for Bruce's help, help us, Bruce, yeah. for the love of God, please. You know, it's just really, really chilling, really chilling. It's really chilling, and it has one of the best jokes the whole way through it because the Speed Force storm kills a horse that Batman has christened Robin. Well, Bratman has said he'd make this damn horse Robin before he'd make Joker's head in the jar Robin. <laughs> and then the horse gets killed and Joker goes, ah, oh, look at that, another perfectly good Robin dead. Um, so. <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's just so sad as Robin's going to be a damn hard act to follow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you have that sort of chilling Speed Force stuff. Um, you then get a uh, little bit of a throwback with some stuff with Unknown Soldiers, with Animal Man. I'm not sure the haunted tank stuff uh, in terms of DC. I have to admit, but you've just got all this great war imagery. Batman trying to get past it. Um, you've got this great swamp thing imagery here as well. It's all related to the red and the green. Yeah, um, and then you get this uh, great stuff with Alfred. So Alfred, at this point, obviously he's much older. He was revealed in the last issue to be a lot older than initially he thought, and he's going down to uh, Wayne Enterprises to turn everything off. And he's cornered by uh, Scarecrow and Bane. Or, or sort of some remnant of Scarecrow. He's had <laughs> yeah. most of his body removed. Yeah, he's got all these long syringes for fingers, robotic arms. It's a skull that for a head. design is awesome. Yeah, I mean the design is on the front cover and it's just wonderful. So it is. And Bane doesn't seem to be much more than a body. No, it just literally seems to be a vessel just to carry him and to take the, yeah. the fire almost to speak. Mm -hmm. But it's here that you're introduced to a character called Omega, who seems to be the new big bad in this world. Omega was mentioned in the last issue. This is the first uh, we've seen of him though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and it's a very Batman-esque design. Um, Looks a bit Batman Beyondy. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is Alfred seems to know who he is. Because someone says, Hail Omega, and then Alfred's there and he says, you, I know who you are. How could you, after everything he meant to you? And then he's cut off. I'm convinced it's Damien, personally. Um, Age-wise, I think he's the only one that makes sense. So you then get Batman. He's searching out uh, Superman at this point. He ends up in the Fortress of Solitude, um, looking for him. And then he gets caught in this really weird, twisted um, stuff with Lex Luthor and Superman. Uh, where Lex is essentially trying to recreate conditions to bring a new Superman to Earth. But also admits that he was responsible for the word becoming what it is no. yeah you had this really interesting part in the middle where Lex tells Batman about what happened in the past and they'd set up this um, scenario in the world where everybody was telepathically linked and Lex invited Superman to have a debate on TV where they would extol the virtues of good and evil 
and based on people's um, opinions of it, like they would, their minds would be read, and then whoever they thought was wrong would be taken out. And even Lex was impressed with Superman in this, but one reason or another, Superman's the one that ends up dead, and Lex has a a lot of guilt there. So he's obviously trying to to make up for that. So you get all that good stuff in the middle. You get this great stuff with uh, Diana um, and these guys going through the uh, the River of the Dead. Um, they're almost in a form of limbo. And there's this great art page which you just know Capullo must have had so much fun with. Um, this was the other thing. I looked, <laughs> Fun in inverted commas? <laughs> no, I think so. I Given the opportunity to just draw pretty much every member of the DC Universe. There's I, not a Robin among them. I was looking for Damien the first yeah. time I read it, you see. Like you can no, see Mr. Miracle in the background mm-hmm. there. Um, there's no Dick Grayson. There's no Tim Drake. There's no well yet, yet Jason. <laughs> um, so yeah, you continue all through this. They end up making their way into Gotham because they want to have this showdown with Omega, but uh, Bruce and Dana end up getting caught by the Court of Isles, which again is a, a great nod to early Schneider Capullo stuff, and. Bruce recognised the voices of one of them, and the reason I knew Keith would enjoy this book is because... It's Dick Grayson. It's Dick Grayson, not, not Rick Grayson. Rick Grayson, a very important <laughs> distinction to make. Um, yeah, I thought this issue had a bit of everything. I thought it was great storytelling. I thought the art was just unparalleled. It had moments for everyone, whether you were a Superman fan, a Nightwing fan... You know, Wonder Woman fan. It had a bit of everything in it, and I'm really, really looking forward to issue yeah, three. Me too. I thought it was a much more together story than the first issue. Yeah. Um. In fact, if if the time ever presents itself and the pull list is ever small enough, I may go around, go back and read the first issue again. Yeah. In light of the second issue. Um. Yeah. Definitely much, uh, much greater appreciation. Might be my favorite thing Snyder has ever written. Oh wow! Until you record it out. Until you get to book club number six. Book club number five coming soon as well. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so that was sort of the Batman corner. Um, We then called the next segment uh, Roddy's recovering of his indie chi (laughs) after his uh, selling out to our uh, previews podcast. It was a terrible thing to watch. It really was. I mean, the man. (laughs) The big companies. (laughs) The man was cowering in the corner, so he was. He's. Getting the cold shakes and you know, recommending all this DC Marvel stuff, but He's there was plen- plenty of good indie stuff. Although saying that, we're going to start off with a title that should have been a DC book yeah, until they got cold feet for whatever reason. Well, you can kind of understand when you read it a bit, but but no, because yeah, this is the sort of thing that would have been tame in the Vertigo years. Like this is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. So, Second Coming by Mark Russell, and the artist is Richard Pace. So, this was to be published by DC, DC, DC Vertigo, Vertigo yep. mm-hmm. which could have easily been amalgamated into DC Black, Black Label, Label, given yeah. Vertigo's unfortunate uh, retirement. I was kind of thinking, it's obviously not like responsible for the death of Vertigo, but is there a wee touch of like, oh, like... It's a bit tinted now, so we'll definitely just get rid of it. I assume they were thinking of getting rid of Vertigo yeah. at this point, but they were just like, okay, I think maybe this controversy, it over the edge, yeah. yeah, possibly. But there's no like, there's nothing to get that all that stuff out of the way. There was protests about it, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Um, if you read the book, it's actually quite charming, uh, whimsical, 
hits religion, obviously, which... Well, it just points out some of the hypocrisy of religion yeah. and... <laughs> it's, and you know. it's freaking hilarious. And it's very fun. So, yeah, it starts off roughly 2,000 years ago. In the beginning, God was lonely. So God created some human beings to keep him company, his friends. His, he named his new friends Adam and Eve. And then you see... <laughs> Just like, just from the very start, you know what you're going to get. A big cloud figure. Uh, oh, God appears in the clouds. With a very angry face yeah, saying, like, do not be do afraid. Not be afraid. <laughs> and it's just, it's that sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, sort of humour that carries on throughout it. It takes a very sort of... Well, it takes a turn straight away on page two because they're introduced to uh, the tree. I'm told not to eat... <laughs> The forbidden fruit. And many of the forbidden fruits on the tree are in the shape of cock and balls. Yep. Just, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and of course they eat it. And, uh, it. And then they're like, how could we have known until after eating it that it was forbidden and all this stuff? Um, Damn it, Eve. Don't lawyer ball me. <laughs> um, but yes, this, uh, this version of God, very much benevolent, a very angry man. And then... Well, it sort of starts out that he kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. But what he didn't realize is that they then populate the whole planet. So it's almost like (laughs) he was bored with humans and it backfires on him. And then, of course, we're introduced to his son, who's sort of, uh, shall we say, a layabout. More of a dude. Yeah. (laughs) So eventually we go through. There's a little bit more backstory, bit of religion. Jesus comes to earth doesn't end very well as we all know yeah it's interesting you see God watching him and it's like wait what is that he's uh, watching um, Jesus get crucified and he's like geez and fucking crackers <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, utterly utterly mental and then we get to pre- present day it's almost like religion for dummies that's, yeah. that's the feeling I get from the first sort and of there's a total change in art style from something a wee bit more yes you're getting yeah. the Ten Commandments style of kind of like yeah, yeah. grand biblical art mm-hmm. to something of a more modern kind of thing we're introduced to Sun Sunstar is it yeah yep. Superman who's Superman <laughs> Hyperion uh, what do you call the guy from the boys mm-hmm. um Homelander. Homelander. Mm-hmm. Jeez, I just started watching that two yeah, days ago. He's a, he's a bit of everything. Um, so he, basically, God decides to look down on this universe. And he's like, oh, hey, this guy, this guy's pretty cool. You know, he's maybe what all the humans are looking up to. So, uh, as we all know, there's a second coming, coming soon. And God decides, do you know what? I'll send my layabout son down to live with this guy yep. and see if he can learn something is yep. that what happens pretty much um, all the while Hope, Homelander uh, <laughs> Sunstar Sunstar is going through sort of a couple couple of problems with uh, trying to have a baby with his wife or girlfriend that I can't remember the name of and then another amazing scene uh, God turns up to them in their bed just a big massive head and he's like do not be afraid so I do know yeah. that God now looks a bit like Chris Christopherson yes a little bit but yeah you just you gotta read this it's just so just so funny and 
It actually had quite a lot of heart, which I was quite surprised at, but it's really the humour you're coming here yeah, for. Yeah, I mean, just to show how bad these two work together, like, uh, Sunstar breaks into, like, the smuggling ring. In fact, no, they're doing counterfeit trading cards or something like that, and uh, where they're talking about how intellectual property theft is everybody's problem. And Sunstar beats a whole pile of them up, but they end up landing in front of Jesus. And then Sunstar comes back outside, and he's like, where did they all go? Jesus is like, I healed them. <laughs> because they needed healed so they all get away um, yeah it's fantastic because Jesus is like obviously a very nice guy but he's misunderstood and I think that's the brilliance of the issue um, so there's you know like there's a great couple of scenes with uh, Jesus talking to Sunstar and then we flash back a bit to Jesus on the cross where it kind of reminds me of like one of my favourite films um uh, Last Temptation of Christ. Of course, he's seen it. Yeah. Uh, with Willem Dafoe as Jesus, where it presents him as sort of like a human being, which is really same here. He's like a human, thinking, feeling, not some sort of crazy deity. And that's the best representation of him. I don't know why there was protests over it. And I think Ahoy have done themselves a favor there by picking it up because it's a brilliant, brilliant first read. I think so. I mean, they ultimately got a ton of free advertising out of it. I was, yeah, I was surprised it took as long for the book to be picked up as it was, because surely other companies would have just looked at this and went, "We're a small publisher, run like an image." Or we'll something. do this for you. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I'm same as Roddy. I just really enjoyed the first issue. I'm looking forward to uh, more of it. Just irreverent, funny, not that controversial. No. So, um, but just a really fun book. It's the same. Did you hear about that film? The Hunter or something? Aye, uh, because yeah. of the uh, the shootings. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this yeah, is not quite as controversial that. as that. <laughs> um, so something on... that's definitely not controversial. <laughs> what are we going for next? Oh, go for it. It's We're in your hand. for a bit of something everyone was looking forward to. Oh, yep. yes. Especially Kieran, who we missed dearly on the podcast. Uh, Blade Runner 2019. Great art germ cover, uh, showing a new agent on the front, but also with the shadow of Rachel in the background with a cigarette. Yeah, Blade Runner was one again that uh, has proven popular in the old pull list. I think everyone has a a bit of time for uh, Blade Runner the movie certainly, yeah. and twenty forty nine I thought was wonderful. And then this is a uh, a really interesting continuation of that universe. Well, it's a continuation of the original Blade Runner universe rather yeah. than twenty forty nine, isn't it? Or? Mm. Yeah, because yeah. it takes place in the uh, in the far future of twenty nineteen. Yep, twenty nineteen, which is when the original Blade Runner was we'll set. set. Yeah. yeah, written by Michael Green and Mike Johnson, art by Andreas Guinaldo, and then lovely colors by Marco Lesco too. Uh, so we're basically starting off. We're introduced. We get a little bit of um, Wait, exposition with basically telling you story of the Blade Runners and then we have Detective uh, Anya Ashina uh, yeah Anna Ashina of the LAPD who was one of the first to qualify for the assignment so we assume he she's a little further up the ranks than Deckard would be yeah, yeah. she's a hell of a lot better job than Deckard yeah. ever was <laughs> she it says there she was the best of them um yeah so it's it's gritty um she is absolutely no nonsense. She seems to have a sideline uh, selling uh, organs. 
Yes. Uh, per, per Benny. So, so she utilizes that as a torture device for getting information out of people as well. Yeah, uh, and it's is it replicant organs? Yeah. That she's yeah. Um, so yeah, she seems to do things her own way, and uh, her uh, her captain seems to be all right with that ish, you know. Um, but she gets a request from on high. Um, the uh, the police have been asked to do something for Alexander Selwyn, who is a a uh, high up CEO of something called the Keenan Corporation. Um, Feeding the future, his wife and daughter have disappeared. Um, she immediately suspects some sort of foul play, um, but it turns out he's very much in love uh, with his wife and misses his daughter, um, and so forth. And uh, let's not forget, she narrated very much in that uh, noir, oh, noir yes. detective yeah, yeah, style. Yeah, absolutely. And that played on her director's yeah. cut. Yeah. 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 <laughs> sort of style. Uh-huh. She eventually tracks down their uh, their speeder, their skipper, whatever they, they call these things in, in, in 2019 Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. Their car, the floaty car thing. Uh, um, yes, the technical name for it. But she seems to be having some sort of physical problem. Uh, she's in pain by the time she tracks down the car, and she has to uh, leave the scene. She she calls in backup, but has to leave the scene. Uh, so she'll check back in. Um, we see a, we see a segue into we see a, a flash into the mother and daughter. They're still alive. They're running around the place, and. Uh, we find out that uh, Ash, uh, our main character, Anna Ashina, um, is more than she lets on. It seems that she's suffered some sort of injury and she's had some sort of cybernetic implants in order to, I don't know, replace a broken back or replace some very, very bad injury. Um, and she uh, she's still in debt for the surgery. They can shut her down at any time and uh, she plugs herself in. Uh, in order to recharge or something can't be a runner if you can't run I think she says yeah that's yeah. not it yeah so it seems to be a, like a back injury or something even more uh, yeah it's cool stuff um, and then in a, in a in a shock reveal we find out that uh, Mr. Selman's wife may or may not be a replicant <clears throat> uh, she beats the shit out of uh, some folks to protect her daughter and then yeah. goes off with a Goes off with a man and slips through the cracks. Yeah, it's very, really it's very noir, very detectivey, very. Uh, I think they nailed the tone. Yeah, big style. Both films, yeah. to be honest, yeah. and the art. I mean, there's lots of callbacks yeah. there to, you know, different buildings that are famous in the movies, yeah. and it does feel like an extension of that world, which is exactly what it should be. Always the main thing you ask of anything like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought that was really successful. Um, kick off for Blade Runner 2019 yep big style now we have one which I know that Keith rather enjoyed yeah um, Jason Aaron and Dennis Hopeless Hallam Sea of Stars issue 1 from Image Uh, first issue a father a son and a whole lot of space between them Um, so this this kicks off uh, in space Uh, it's so crapping boring we've got uh, <laughs> we've got a father and a son Caden uh, it seems to be drawn in a fairly cartoony style 
um, and, and Dennis Hallam style I guess um, the kid has gone with his father his father seems to be a, a cross galaxy trucker space trucker the kid has gone with his father um, and he is absolutely bored spitless of, of space um, as he would be yeah it turns out they're uh, they're ferrying stuff they're hauling for the Corgarian Museum of Space History it was a pretty cool place uh, his dad's trying to educate him trying to bond with him with Caden while they, they travel uh, Caden can't be ours all he can be worried about is the fact there's no service his games aren't available on his, on his phone or comlink or whatever it is um, the father detects a, a new what looks like a long something huge in the long range scanners must be a super barge he does the usual comes out you know in, in that space trucker sort of way Caden meanwhile has disappeared into the bodge of the ship to explore this stuff from the museum there's lots of cool stuff um, he he's in a spacesuit because it's, it's pressurized down, it's, it's not pressurized down there uh, he discovers uh, he's a space whale um, he's talking to the sorry cork shark he's, he's talking to the corpse of this cork shark he's lost his mum clearly his dad's the only person he has left but he's not getting on with his dad uh, meanwhile upstairs dad realises that it's not a, a giant space arc or whatever it was it's some sort of massive creature that looks like a cross between a space squid and a wheel thing <laughs> don't know it's a awesome technical term. it's beautifully rendered whatever it is um, and it more or less devours the ship splits it in half the father and son are on opposite ends of the ship uh, they get split up father's in the spacesuit as quick as he can trying to find his son I'm coming for you son the ship's split apart in the creature's mouth some big giant uh, up close shots of this creature's giant green eye and and all of this uh, but the ship comes apart fortunately they're both in spacesuits uh, but they are separated um, they are separated and uh, something happens whenever Caden flying through space touches one of the artifacts from the museum uh, it seems to make him more or less invulnerable he encounters um, a space that's ripped open but he seems to be able to speak he seems to be able to breathe uh, he seems to be able to resist the cold um, so he meets these two aliens that start off wanting to eat him and then decide maybe not because um, <laughs> they can understand because they can understand him it doesn't feed the whole idea of so so yeah, so they 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 show him how to move through space. He's swimming in space. Um, Dad wakes up somewhere else, and uh, it seems that the central conceit of this is that you know the father will be looking for the son. The son will be looking for the father, um, and we'll be doing a bit of world building and stuff along the way. Yeah, um, which sounds like a fairly good recipe. For to me uh, just stay alive out there Caden says dad one way or another dad's still coming um, while these monsters barrel across the asteroid at him um, um, so yeah Jason Aaron can do no wrong and it, it's really cool to see because you were telling I think every sort of podcast we've had you mentioned Dennis Allen Marvel guy in some way or other yeah, yeah, yeah. But here he is doing sci-fi with crazy monsters and uh, yep. really love the colours in this book too yep really fantastic um, really book. excited yep. really excited to see I picked up picked up some other image number ones and not this which I regret after reading this this uh, this afternoon uh -huh. so I think I'm gonna definitely pick up the trade 
cool. really really enjoyed it um, I think this uh, I think I said it to you Alan during the week I think this is the, the potential the potential to be another saga yeah uh, definitely fill that uh, void while we wait in saga's return certainly I mean just the it just shows Aaron's skill as a writer he achieves an awful lot in a yeah, short space of time really here does, yeah. you know establishes a relationship between the father and son the, you know that he lost his mum establishes this world I mean there's little details in it that are just really cool um, one line that particularly stood out it's just a wee throwaway thing but it's part of the world building is when um, Caden is going around the ship and he starts crying there's like a little voice inside the, the spacesuit says excess liquid detected triggering thermal dryers yeah, yeah, yeah. you know just little things like that and he sort of mumbles you know shut up you know that kind of thing but also it has a reference to one of the greatest movies of all time in there Big Trouble in Little China oh yeah Super Barge this is the Pork Chop Comet <laughs> instead of the Pork Chop Express um, so I love me a good pop culture reference or two so yeah a lot of fun a lot achieved in it and I think yeah a special shout out to Rico Renzi for the colours because it is a gorgeous looking book it is so, yeah. it is. Um, so yeah so that was Sea of Stars number one um, now we move on to one I have zero knowledge of so so you, you guys didn't, take you didn't it away. pick this one up? No, I mean, same again. I mean, I'm similar to you guys in that I will read 90% of number ones, but some of them slip through the cracks. This was unfortunately one of them, or unfortunately one um, of them, I don't know. No, no, definitely not. It's not a bad, it's Colin Bond, so that's always a good start. Colin Bond, then Kyle Stram, co write, uh, Baltimore Rivas, and on art. Um, called Unearth, number one image. Um, the story starts in Mitlanitza, Mexico. Um, you've got this kid, uh, you know, speaking Spanish. He seems to be uh, emptying his bucket into barrels of sort of full of pink stuff. And um, these folk arrive. They, I think they're Americans. Uh, Dr. Reyes, Dr. McCormick, and Lieutenant Morris, who is the, who's the, the heavy, the, the grunt of the group. And there seems to have been some sort of, uh, I guess, outbreak yep. in Mexico yes. here. And uh, it's it's mad. It's some, whatever it is, it's, it's causing some sort of mad body shock thing. It's absolutely horrible. Um, you know, it's mutating and uh, bloating. and Turns you into a big fat blob, basically. Yeah, like, yeah. A, like a, a horrible... Yeah, absolutely horrible. Um, so, so there's that. <laughs> there's that uh, this kid Alejandro I don't know if he's half insane from treating these people or mm-hmm. cleaning up after them or whatever um, he points out that they're looking to talk to Dr. Hernandez and this big glob looking thing you know on the bed is Dr. Hernandez meanwhile in Boston 2016 this young girl seems to have torn off her own face so that's a thing too um, yeah there was a lot of jumping around and I'm not sure what it was to me. I liked the story. Like, the story was good. Yeah, it was um, compelling enough, like. I didn't really engage with any, any of the characters, and I, I just thought the um, kind of style of it didn't really grab me. Oh. And it, I suppose as as harsh as it is as a reader, uh, you got to be careful with your choices, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe if one book doesn't grab you, it's not to say that the rest of it isn't going to be quality. It's just like, I did not feel this was going to... Yeah, yeah. Me up and I, I felt yeah. like, colours are really bland. Um, 
but then I suppose maybe there's a reason for it um, I just felt everything was like weird shade of grey and black and but then you never know that could be it could pick up and it was like it was interesting to, to, to go into the ground to discover what the the reason for this outbreak is and they discover creatures and things and an alien ecosystem down there and monsters and all sorts of stuff and um, there was there's there's definitely I don't know um, there's yeah something to yeah. there there uh, yeah uh, I can't I'm not sure why it just didn't <laughs> I don't know if it's the body shock and I just couldn't be arsed with it at the moment or if there's, there's been a bit much or I don't know has there been a bit much though has it I don't know I feel like I read something a wee bit body shocky uh, fairly recently before it or is it something I don't know I'm not sure but no. It was it, it wasn't bad. It's just not for me right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely feel the same. Definitely yeah. not a bad book. If if like the body horror, it's a bit like um, you ever seen? It? It's like some sort of weird body horror mixed with outbreak. Yeah, like a, <laughs> like yeah, like John Carpenter does. Yeah, I think. Oh, not thing. oh, you just mentioned John Carpenter. I'll I'll borrow that wee issue. All right, I'll have we read of that. You have you'll, not. You'll uh, be the judge of you, that. you have not yeah. put me off it. Uh, <laughs> I, know, enough. I know I've no copies left in the store, so just out of curiosity. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we'll give it a wee. Uh, Fair Lady, because um, that was another one that I kind of. Yeah, I fair. read the first one. wasn't a big fan, and then. So Fair Lady is something that I'm a fan of, and I was a bit disappointed to see. This week, the writer take to Twitter to say that it's going to end at issue five. Um, Fair Lady, it's it's set up in this great little world. It's um, so you get the same blurb at the start of every issue. In the aftermath of the War of Harshland, there was no longer a need for a standing army. Former soldiers struggled to re-enter society. Some found employment. Some turned to crime. Some became the first licensed investigators. The first fair men. Jenner Folds posed as a man to fight in the war. When she returned, a wizard hired her to oversee security at his tower. In her free time, she takes on the cases no one else cares about, as the land's only fair lady. Now, what I really dug about this as a title was that every single issue was a one and done. This, this is how they advertised it. They, they basically said the issues were a complete fair lady mystery. Um, I just found it really charming. It's sort of a mix of medieval and sci-fi. You know, you've got one of the the fair men are is a large talking cat. It's never explained why he's there when the rest of the world is quite human. Um, there's a little map at the back of it that sort of shows the the setup of the world, and it looks like what is a giant sort of a giant robot that has landed on Earth, and they've actually built around it. I thought it's I think it's a charming, charming little title, and I really, really recommend it when it hits trade. Because, as I said, it's unfortunately going to end at five. Um, I, I keep trying to turn Roddy around on it. Um, <laughs> like, to give you an idea, this issue, all this issue is about is a wealthy literature lover who finds this book, but the last two pages are ripped out. And he's been searching for ten years to find the last two pages, but every library he goes to, every bookstore he goes to, the last two pages are ripped out. <laughs> so he hires her to track down the writer and to find out how the story ends because it's just been, you know, digging away at him for years. And that's that's all the story's about. But it's just utterly, utterly charming. A lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think it was sort of the same as Keith with, with his body horror. I had too much fantasy, I think, at that point. Um, 
and I just couldn't deal with it because I had a few titles and I had Reaver as well, which I was kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, not to say they're bad, it's just that wasn't what I wanted. At well, the I mean, time, I felt a bit burnt out with all that sort of that's stuff. That's what we got to emphasize, certainly. I mean, not the, the goal of this reviews podcast is not always just to say everything is gold. There will be things yeah. we read that maybe aren't for us or whatever. That's that's fine. Fair idea, as I say, I stuck with it because I had I'd ordered it in for myself as well, and I enjoyed the first one. But I do think it's got better the more it's gone. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little sad that it's only going to be five, but what a five. So as, <laughs> as long as issue yeah. five is good, of course, which is due out soon. Um, but I do want to throw a little bit of love for a, another one that launched. I mean, it does seem that every week there seems to be a new image number one without fail. Um, it just seems the place to be for all creators, whether it's writers, artists, um, whatever. But this was a title that came out called Space Bandits. Written by Mark Miller, um, I'm sure everybody knows him well. Um, but the main reason that I was attracted to this issue was Mario Scalera. The artist on this is the artist from a title called Black Science, which is written by Rick uh-huh. Remander. I'm a big, big fan of. Um, but Space Bandits, it achieves a lot in one issue, similar to what we were talking about with uh, Sea of Stars. I mean, I showed Roddy the first page here earlier, quickly, and he just burst out laughing. So it begins with what looks like a cruise ship going through space, but it's called the Lionel Richie. <laughs> and at the front, it's a it's the figurehead is a mold right. of Lionel Richie. And the subtitle starts with, the 80s didn't reach the Midwest until the 90s. <laughs> Think how long it took to get this into space. Um, so it starts off in this big, massive cruise ship, and it leads to um, a job being done, a robbery being done by these you know, aforementioned space bandits. There's four men and one, wo- one woman. And they basically knock out everybody on the cruise ship and steal everything from them. But the girl of the group had gotten friendly and chatty with these two older people who had just got married. So she leaves them behind like a little congratulations card. And she's like, I like to think I'm something of a romantic. Um, but the rest of the guys in the crew are like, she's way too fucking soft. Um, so they end up actually killing her. Or, what well, do you think they've killed her? They basically betray her. And then she's like, oh, but we made our 100 million split five ways. That's 20 million each. And the guys are like, I guess 25 million just sounds cooler. And they shoot her and leave her for dead. Then it cuts to another um, another long con that uh, these two other characters are doing. Where this guy is basically turning in this female bounty. Uh, but what he does every time is he helps her escape. So her bounty goes up. Then he <laughs> finds her again, busts her out again, finds her again, busts her out again. All the while the money's going up and up. And uh, but what happens is they're going to do one last job because her bounty is so high. <laughs> but he actually leaves her to rot in the jail cell. Never comes back for. <laughs> and then the, the the issue basically ends where the these two female characters meet in prison and try to come up with a way that they're going to take revenge on all these guys who screwed them over. Um, it's just a lot of fun. The art style is wonderful. I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, just look at that. That's the um, that's the prison. It's a giant lobster floating giant in space. space lobster. It's called the crustacean. Okay. A hundred miles sentient, worshipped as a god, now dead and being mined by thousands of the universe's most dangerous prisoners. Again, we've we've spoke about it in other podcasts and all the rest. I when Mark Miller gets it right, I think he's a great writer. Mm-hmm. And again, the art was the big draw for me with Mario Scalera on there. Cool. Um, so that's one I really recommend. It's another one that's fallen under Mark Miller's Miller World Netflix deals. So I don't know. Could well, be Miller World is now wholly owned by Netflix, so everything that Mark Miller does is yep. owned by Netflix. Could be a movie, could be a TV show, 
might just exist as a great comment. I don't mm-hmm. know. We yeah. shall see. So, yeah. But we have to finish off with a, a specific indie title before. Well, yeah. Not the, I say finish off. I mean, I've, I've still got a note here about another <laughs> 15 or 16 titles. But, but to finish off the. our indie corner done. To finish off the Roddy's recovering of his indie chi. We have. Yeah, we'll go for Red Winter by Scott Comics by Michael Gordon, Francisco Munoz, and the main man, Roland Scalnitz, who did the art for a lot of some of my books. A lot of some. Of I was going to say, you're a writer, man. You're a writer. Some of a lot of your books? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very lit. Um, yeah, so he did stories for Tales of the Fractured Mind, The Burning Memory, and Tales of Fractured Worlds too. Um, he's the colorist on this, and then Michael I've known since I, he was in school. Uh, yeah, so not, not since you were in school, just when he was, just in, when school. He was in school. Oh, yeah, okay. I didn't go to school. Uh, <laughs> I'm all self-taught, baby. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so he's got a potty mouth on him, old Michael, doesn't he? It was something I noticed. Yeah, it was a lot of swearing at the start, and it sort of calms down a little bit more through it. But yeah, um, so basically, Red Winter tells the story of a disgraced um, New York detective, Eli Winter, and he basically ends up in Russia, and he's got to do a job there. And I love, 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 love uh, Francisco's art style. It's kind of gritty, but car- there's a cartoony vibe to it as well. Um, they really make Kapotnia, uh, which is like a sub- the most crime-ridden suburb of Moscow, feel very bleak in the middle of a harsh Russian winter. Feels gorgeous. I also love Roland's colors. That- See, in a different way that I thought on Earth was... I don't know, murky and lifeless. This is more... It's the same sort of colours, but I, th- I feel it's more... Suitable for the story. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of... Um, don't want to get into spoilers too much because I would definitely say pick it up on the trade. But Eli, he basically gets into a lot of trouble with various different Russian gangs. And then he finds his own son embroiled with the same gangs and basically has to get him out of trouble and so so begins an epic crime tale I think uh, Michael was saying it's for fans of uh, Brubaker and Sean Phillips oh but not bad not a bad thing to say um, but if the writer is saying that yeah that's a big 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 to fill um, but yeah definitely check it out really really tough for him to see it in print and as a living breathing comic so very cool yeah has a nice little cliffhanger there as well oh yeah with uh, the main character's son yeah turning up and saying he's responsible essentially for what he's investigating so yeah I took that as well Um, jumped in simply on Roddy's recommendation and met Michael a couple of times lovely bloke Um, so yeah really really enjoyed it and I've read some of his other stuff Transdimensional and, uh, yeah, looking forward to see where it goes because started life as Kickstarter about a year ago, so I've read the first issue twice now. <laughs> so looking forward to number two. And he owns about ten issues as well. He keeps yeah. just buying them just for yeah. Michael Seals. My, my girlfriend got one too. <laughs> I think I have about four. Now. 
Um, so yeah, that's uh, pretty much the roundup of uh, the indie stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just to have another theme sort of couple of issues just to chat about quickly. Um, we had our bat corner, I guess we've got our Superman corner. A um, couple of titles this month that caught the eye. Um, two are for sort of lesser utilised characters, I should say, in their own titles um, in the Superman universe, uh, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. And then the third is uh, going to be Superman up in the sky. But Lois Lane seemed to really um, strike home for you, Keith. Oh, I think Lois Lane, number one, which is the first of a 12-issue maxi-series, as Jimmy Olsen is. Yeah. But Keith, uh, I have a question for you. Last month you said on the... Was it the previous podcast? That I was going to take issue one and... No, 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 no. Um, it was something something you said about Mary Jane. About uh, supporting characters becoming main characters and it not always been necessary. Yes. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, does this change your mind? Uh, certainly does on this. I think I think both with Jimmy Olsen and this, probably 12 issues is probably spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that both Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, I, at face value... I don't think anybody at this table had interest in. No. Yeah. Then you saw Greg Rucker was on one, and, and Matt Fraction was on the other. other. Yeah. Suddenly it has your attention. Uh, Lois Lane, this issue was my favourite issue by DC this year, this month. Yeah, rather. it was um, fantastic. Yeah, it was very, very, very good. good. Greg Rucker, known for one of the best books on the shelves, The Minute Lazarus, the single best word building book on the shelves um, and future book club no doubt yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, and also Old Guard yeah um, Old Guard's wonderful Old Guard's fantastic and a wreck of stuff across DC and Marvel mm-hmm. uh, a variety of other independent I mean my favourite stuff Greg Rucka worked on was with the aforementioned Brubaker and that was Gotham Central uh, oh, and he also winters. he also took over from Brubaker on Daredevil and that's uh, that's kind of what it reminded me of mm-hmm. a little bit Gotham Central because I love uh and there was uh, what was the Marvel book The Pulse about the Daily Bugle did you ever read that no yeah, I know it's, all of it it's very very good but I, I really like those kind of stories that put you on the ground mm. I think yeah and I think this is it this is this is a, a story of politics and intrigue and espionage set against the backdrop of the DC universe yeah, um, yeah. with a character who is very close to the central character of the DC universe um, so, uh, but the the first thing that got me was the the dialogue, is absolutely fantastic. Um, we've got uh, uh, the Drake Hotel in Chicago. We've got uh, a uh, uh, a maid cleaning up the room while Lois Lane tack 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 tacks on her laptop. Uh, we've got the news on in the background. A lot going on here. So we all around Lois. We've got a storm of things happening, you know. And uh, she's like, I replaced the tiles. Do you want the mini bar restocked? Doesn't doesn't respond. The minibar. Do you want the minibar restocked, Ms. Lane? And uh, Lois is Lois is flat out in you know uh, in journalist mode. She's uh, a special mention for the sticker on her laptop. This machine kills fascists. <laughs> uh, we uh, we throw back to Woody Guthrie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she holds up her finger one minute until she finished, and she goes tack whoosh. The machine goes off, and Lois goes. Always and forever. And the maid goes, I'm sorry, the minibar, restocked. Always and forever. You've been serving this room for months, Alejandra. We've got, we've got a thing going. Just make the bed, change the tiles, restock the minibar. And don't worry about the mess. It's it's my job, Lois, so I ask anyway. 
uh, especially if perhaps you're having company later. I'm happily married, of course, of course, after all. What is one kiss? Exactly, says Lois. With Superman, says Alejandra. Lois smirks. Says <laughs> quite background. Low, says lower. More, More than, than one. one kiddo. So this, obviously, there's there's a thing that has happened, I guess, where Lois has been snap kissing Superman. <laughs> whenever she's happily married to Clark Kent. Um, so there's a, there's a, a bit of a thing there. Uh, great conversation with Perry White. Uh, all of the things that we... Uh, I guess all of the things that we're used to seeing from Lois, things that were, I think that were that were actually um, great line there about Perry saying like, "I let you go straight to press without a copy edit, then make you return your bullets yeah. to just turn auto cracked off." Lois, tell me, was the you see the whole thing with Lois not being able to spell? Mm-hmm. Was that something from? I Superman think that's existed movie? for a long time. Or was that from nineteen seventy eight Superman? Yeah, or I, was it? I yeah. think it might have been from there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, fantastic stuff. Uh, we've got. Um, We've Bludgeon, got... by the way, is spelled with a U and not two <laughs> And collusion only has one U, Lois. So, yeah, great, great relationship between Perry and Lois. And turns a wee bit uh, sour whenever Perry tells her that uh, a fellow journalist, uh, a Russian journalist, has been has been killed. Um, Lois sort of starts going on the the trail of that and what's happening there and. Uh, you know she's meeting with she's meeting with uh, uh, contacts and, yeah, and connections. A figure and, in the the dark. Uh huh. Figure yeah, in exactly. the shadows in a trench coat. Yeah, that's it. And uh, she's looking for saying a reporter named Mariska Voron- Voronova was found dead today. They're saying it was suicide. It wasn't. She saw it coming. She kept backups and her head notes in case somewhere like this happened she told me where to find them now I'm telling you bring them to me so she's hiring someone to do a bit of that we uh, we have uh, Superman Clark appearing as a background character yeah appearing as a booty call almost yeah Yeah. Um, interesting so that's great they have a conversation where Clark is a wee bit annoyed because everybody's calling Lois a slut for being seen kissing Superman and Clark's a wee bit annoyed Uh, you know it's just that I don't like it at all. I, I don't like what these people say about you, and I don't like that nobody seems to say it about him. <laughs> yeah, there's so much like stuff twisted on its head in this yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, so really, really, really good stuff. Um, I say there's a there's a there's a real good story. Uh, we have the question featured again. And it's interesting as well, just to nip back a little bit. But again, this shows that this is linked. Just, just as you were saying with House of X and you know for the Fantastic Four and you just got married recently showing that it's linked to the rest uh-huh. of the universe there's a line here where Clark says when are you going to tell me about that thing about what about the thing you're not telling me about what happened when you were in space with my father and our son oh and just yeah. like not yet that when I'm ready link it back to so again, Superman and yeah, the so it's okay, nice yeah, that it yeah. shows it's all all linked and they you know they talk about their they talk about their relationship um you know, we each need to be able to keep secrets from one another. We each have to respect that. We've got a good thing, Clark, and it's not because we relent- we're relentlessly honest with each other. It's because we trust each other absolutely entirely and without hesitation. Uh, you know, if I'm keeping something from you, I've got a reason. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. So, yeah, the question appears in Russia, um, and I think it's really cool. Uh, you know, Lois goes toe to toe with uh, with the uh, the White House press secretary. Uh, Leanne McCarthy who's obviously an analogue for the White House Press Secretary um, <laughs> for the current administration of Bull Baggery um, 
so she always goes toe to toe with with this girl about uh, do you deny that the administration is monetizing the separation of children from their families? Does that sound familiar? Hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and she just it's just awesome. I'm not going to dignify that. Let's take another. Is that a denial, Miss McCarthy? Gloria, do you? We're talking about children as young as eighteen months. I think you need to answer the question. Answer the question, Leanne. Answer the question. So <laughs> that's awesome. Really, really good stuff. So it, it was such a good book. Uh, really good, Greg Rucker and Mike Perkins and art. Lovely, lovely art. Um, Feels very classic. Doesn't yeah, it? it does. It really does. It's sort of so. classic seventies. Yeah. Sort of Watergate. Watergate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. That's sort so of that was such a good book. I think twelve issues would just be nice for it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's coming off, I guess, coming off the bag of Event Leviathan. That sort of yeah. stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So from the more serious, grounded side of the Superman universe to the to more slightly ridiculous, ridiculous <laughs> side, but no less fun. Yep. Um, um, Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal, another first issue of another twelve issue maxi series, didn't grab me quite the same way as Lois did. I don't know if I'm just maybe not as into comedy stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but. Uh, but Matt Fraction, um, well known for Immortal Iron Fist and a variety of other, well, Immortal Iron Fist would be the, the one that I would, would jump out for me. But he's been a hockey, yeah, um, all sorts of stuff. It starts in the settlement of Newberstad that will eventually become uh, Metropolis, and we have uh, Jimmy Olsen's uh, great 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 grand something, Halcom Olsen, uh, a Norwegian who, uh, you know, has settled the law here and, um. Uh, Alan and I argued about this that because uh, he says it's Alexanderland that makes me think it's Lex this I'm convinced that it's um, oh hold on yeah and he calls him yeah, Luthers yeah. yeah so maybe it is the Luthers okay fair enough but, but it's just like it, it introduces this whole it's the fall that kills you and then you get like this two page thing and then it's like the end <laughs> yeah the end um, yeah, so it's the history of the Olsons through through Metropolis, and then we uh, we find Jimmy in a in a in a low in a low Earth orbit orbit in a space suit. Um, he's the subtitle being Superman's problem. Jimmy Olsen <laughs> instead of pal. Yeah, the pal who fell to Earth. Um, you know, so Jimmy Jimmy is doing these blogs, and people are telling him to do things, and he's doing them. You know, and uh, it's kind of all very tongue in cheek. He jumps out of the jumps out of the plane, they've injected him with something, he turns into a human turtle. Uh, Clark Kent, who's very much the Clark Kent of like the 60s, goes, oh boy, sees Jimmy, turns into Superman, rescues him. Um, there's a whole thing. Uh, oh, the, the, the spirit of Metropolis, this giant statue comes down as a result of Jimmy's, Jimmy's uh, ridiculous experiment. And uh, back on Earth, Jimmy turns from his Tortoise turtle form back into, back into Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Olsen's boss Perry White, um, obviously follows on from this first event. So we bit, so we bit uh, like three or four stories in the one book, yeah, sort of three or four chapters of the same story, but uh, Perry White again we we saw. This is definitely in, the best story of them all, I think. Yeah, uh, where effectively, uh, becomes clear that. Uh, becomes clear that after the destruction of the monarch of Monopolis, 
Um, we find out that the, the, the Daily Planet takes out an awesome mitigation exclusion, which is an insurance premium they pay specifically because of all the stupid things that Jimmy Olsen does. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, it's all of this. So effectively, uh, Perry goes ahead. We see a number of the silly things that he does, but you know, he's getting ready to fire him, you know, and uh, there's a really, really. Uh, there's a turnaround there whenever they talk to the IT guy, IT Mike, and Jimmy is the only part of the Daily Planet that is digitized, and they're looking at his viewers as usage, just click through subscription rates, retention, and total attention stats for Jimmy's last piece, and then his number over here. That's what those numbers. That's the, the amount that those numbers will bring, and it turns out that in fact, Jimmy is the only part of the Daily planet that is making any money because print media is dead effectively Harry <laughs> turns in his head he's like bless you bless son, you son. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm going to go punch an old dinosaur in the chops will you give our readers more of your special Jimmy Olsen viruses or whatever the hell <laughs> you know um, so, and then meanwhile the publisher um, is chatting to Clark Kent again this 50s version 60s version of Clark Kent Kent can't you keep this kid quiet and out of trouble just for a little bit gosh Miss Leone I wish I could, but that might only be a job for that Superman could handle. And he gives this big cheesy wink. You turn the page, and he's still big cheesy <laughs> wink, and she's going, "Okay, Smallville." You know. So then the last story we have: uh, Superman's long-distance BFF, Jimmy Olsen, in New in Town. He's just moving into this uh, this absolute flop house, uh, total mess. Rents due each morning in cash. You can pay in advance for the week. I'll knock 20 bucks off. No smoking, no drinking, no fraternizing, no fighting, no cussing, no stabbing, no pets. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's an absolute dive uh, as he's moving in. And it turns out that Jimmy is in Gotham. Uh, as if the bat flying in the window didn't didn't tell you that in the first place. Uh, we don't know how Jimmy's ended up here. He doesn't know he's ended up here. And he goes, oh yeah, as he sticks his... Uh, sticks up his headline up on the wall he says I went ahead and got totally murdered <laughs> so he's you know there's a Daily Planet headline saying who killed Jimmy Olsen so that leaves us with the mystery of if Jimmy Olsen's dead who's Jimmy Olsen and why is he investigating his own murder so good stuff great book good fun not quite Lois Lane but I'll maybe yeah it's still maybe Steve, it's, yeah. Steve, Steve Lieber yeah, on the yeah. arts looks very yeah, very good yes it does it does so interesting stuff yeah just a nice fun book you know it's uh, again they're, they're characters that otherwise I would not be interested in the slightest but you know when you've got creative teams like that on board yeah. um, like Fraction obviously I'm a big fan through Hawkeye but also just as more reverent stuff like Sex Criminals stuff like that um, so yeah I'm, I'm on uh, Jimmy Olsen as well I think it's a cracking book um, just wanted to throw a quick shout out for one last Superman title um most months we usually do talk about Superman or action comics. I mean, action's definitely my preference out of the two, but this might be my new favourite Superman book at the moment. Um, I'll only chat about it quickly here because I think I'll be talking about it much more next month with issue two. But uh, this is Superman Up in the Sky. So this is uh, going to be a six-issue mini-series. What this is is... Um, DC had signed this exclusive deal with Walmart to produce these 100-page spectaculars. And each issue would have maybe 16 pages of new material and then the rest would be reprints. So what they did in an interesting move was they inverted their writers from their main titles. So whereas you've got Bram Michael Bendis on Action Comics and Superman, they got him to uh, 
organise the uh, Batman title with Nick Darrington. It's called Batman Universe. And then what they've done is they've got the Batman writer Tom King to do this title, which is Superman Up in the Sky. So they've got Tom King writing this and Andy Kubert on art. I know I'm always accused of being, you know, a fully paid up member of the cult of Tom King, but <laughs> this is a brilliant title so far. Um, of course, he can't resist having Batman on the second page, but <clears throat> it starts out with this case that uh, Batman has brought to Clark's attention of uh, <clears throat> a home invasion. So uh, the old, the parents are murdered. They had four foster children. Two of the girls died. One's missing. One was found uh, shot but alive. She's at Gotham Mercy. And uh, Batman seems to have some sort of personal stake in this where he says, go and visit the girl in hospital. And the girl in hospital tells, her, tells Superman this story of how the people who broke in, one of them was wearing a spacesuit, And they took one of the other girls up in the sky. So hence why it's called Superman up in the sky. Um, you get a lot of sort of classic Clark stuff with um, Lois and with Perry. Um, but he's being kept busy. Superman, he's, he's fighting off dinosaur invasions and meteor heading for earth and you know brainiac uh, attacking and shielding families and all this but at the back of his head he's, he keeps thinking about this one missing little girl and this leads to a brilliant conversation with uh pat kent which i think is one of the favorite things i've read all year um it's just this one page where clark is sort of huddled over a fence and pat kent's beside him Clark says, there's nothing to be done. They need me here, Pa. Which they've just demonstrated all this stuff he's stopping. And uh, Pa's like, yeah, I suppose they do. Clark, who knows what's coming our way. Everything could fall tomorrow and the next day and the next. I have to hold it up. I can't just go flying off after one little girl. Pa can't. No, I suppose you can't. Clark, I'm with the whole Green Lantern Corps looking for her. They'll do more than I can do. They'll find her. Pa, yeah, I suppose they will. And then it turns and he becomes more engaged in the conversation. Unless they don't, that is. And then, well, that little girl just won't be found. She'll be up there all alone, hurt, maybe scared, waiting and waiting, hoping. You know, little kids always got hope. That's the lesson you gave me, son. You had every problem, but you always had hope. And she'll have it too. No matter how lost she is, she'll be thinking, it's all right, someone will save me. And then it ends up being that... Uh, Superman chats to Batman quickly and the girl who was sick in hospital has actually died. Um, so now Superman is doubly determined. He's going to drop everything and go off in search of this one girl. Has this great conversation with Lois. The art the whole way through it as well is utterly beautiful. Um, and that's the crux of the story. He leaves Earth and he goes off in search of this little girl. Um, is this is this, this is one of these Walmart books, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's six issues. So what? as I was saying, with, with the Walmart stuff, the first... Every part of it is from a Walmart special, but they've collated the new material into the six issues. Um, but I'll not go any further than that, simply because next month, the amount that Keith talked about uh, House of X, I could talk about issue two. Oh, yeah? It is fucking fantastic. Um, it's a woman the boxing uh, yeah. cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, any, anyone who knows me knows I'm not the biggest Superman guy in the world. It takes Superman to be written well for me to really enjoy it. Um, and this has been brilliant and I say that not just because it's Tom King but just mm -hmm. in his class <laughs> yep. um, so yeah really really digging that it's going to be six issues um, really really recommend it uh, Superman Up in the Sky um, so yeah uh, the last sort of section we have because we couldn't find <laughs> any way <laughs> any way to put it together so we had the X-Report the Bat Corner Roddy's recovering of his Indie Chi 
Uh, we'll work on that title. The I Superman think, Corner. Know. The rest is just called the best from the rest. Um, Which is just because July was such a fantastic month. It's, it's nuts. I mean, yeah, the the sheer wealth of great stuff was brilliant. Um, what do I want to start with? Uh, do you want to go with Silver Surfer Black? Yeah, I can jump into that very quickly. Mr. Um, Donny Cates. Donny Cates. And whose name I'm sure will appear later. And that will be another long conversation next month with mm. Absolute Carnage. Oh, one. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, just a quick shout out Silver Surfer Black. It's five issues. Uh, Donny Cates continuing to do his own little uh, corner of the Marvel Universe. He's linked together Venom. He's linked together it with Silver Surfer Black and with Guardians of the Galaxy. This issue focuses very much on a confrontation the Surfer has with Null, who is the symbiote god. Um, and it almost. From, uh, from Donny Kitts. From Donny Kitts Venom. Venom um, and essentially, this whole issue is just Null chasing the Silver Surfer across the cosmos. The art style is totally wacky, totally psychedelic. Um, at one point, the symbiote takes over the Surfer. Um, but he's actually able to break out of there. Um, yeah, it's it, it really is no more it's than like just nothing just I've it. ever seen before. Yeah, it looks so good. The the artwork by uh, Trad Moore is just absolutely stunning. Um, I actually think this is one of the best books on the stands in terms of the art style. Have did it do well with pre-orders? Yep, no we. I mean, obviously, we can only talk about ourselves and our own store, but Silver Surfer Black has a good, yeah. a good percentage of readers on it, um, and they all seem to be loving it as well. It's it's one of those ones that I often do get asked, like, when's the next issue? When's yeah, the, when's yeah. the next issue? Yeah, because almost I don't know if it was me, but I was like, I felt like, I think it was because I maybe it went straight to the top of my pile when I got it, so I kind of now I was like, oh yeah, Silver Surfer. <laughs> Yeah, so I've kind of forgotten about it, so maybe it feels to me like it hasn't really been talked about enough. Well, it's interesting because not too long ago I read a great four-part series, Silver Surfer Requiem, by J. Michael Straczynski, and it was all about how the surfer was dying, and then he went back to his home planet. With Silver Surfer Black, I almost kind of think Donny Cates is trying to do a little bit of an homage to that, mm -hmm. because as the surfer exerts himself more in these stories and sacrifices himself more, more and more of his body is turning black yep. so in the first yeah. issue his hand ended up turning black by the end of this issue his entire arm is black and I wonder if it's going to end with some massive sacrifice hence why it's called Silver Surfer Black so I almost do wonder if this is almost like a little bit of an homage story to um, has he ever been a Venom or Carnage Surfer before does he have the yeah Carnage took over thing? the Silver Surfer before yeah 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 I think I actually have that story upstairs yeah. it's a True Believers one that they released it's uh, originally was an Amazing Spider Man cool. but I mean you get to the last page of it and the Surfer is confronted by Ego um, it just looks like a Beatles album cover or something from the sixties <laughs> it's just I've never seen Ego look quite so friendly. <laughs> It's just, it's such an incredible the living planet. Silver Surfer's Lonely Hearts Club band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's not like any other book on the stand. So yeah, really, really digging it. Um, it's gorgeous, really is a gorgeous book. I'm liking this uh, Donny Kids fella. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a fan of his for years. I mean, it was more his indie work that got uh, me into God, him. God Country's on, right? God Country, Redneck, um... 
a story called Buzzkill about a superhero who had superpowers when he was drunk. Yeah. Um, which I understood later on had personal stakes in the story as well. But yeah, I mean, Marvel are putting a lot of trust in this guy and he's delivering Ooh, with everything he's doing. Dave, thanks, Dave. Um, and again, next month, I know Keith hasn't had the chance to read it just yet, but I'll get there. I was, yeah. I was pretty blown away by Absolute Carnage and I didn't expect to be. Same, because I... The only tie I have to Venom is Silver Surfer Black, so yeah. I'm going to have to get this Venom run at some point and pick it up, but I knew nothing about Absolute Carnage. And but as soon as you read it, you were like... That was it, yeah. Was I want to go back and read some more. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, they sort of gave you all you needed to know at the start, I think. Yeah. You got the Stephanie Hans cover of this? Oh, absolutely. Of course did. Um, the benefits of owning a comic store sometimes. Uh, the Stephanie Hans variant cover for the next title. Sue Storm Richards is not a force to be trifled with. Cosmic Grace gifted her with the power to make herself unseen at will and project invisible force fields around herself and make those and fight and those she fights to protect. She's a devoted wife, a fearless mother, and a fierce a member of the Fantastic Four. She is the Invisible Woman in Mark Wade's The Invisible Woman. The longest title of all time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, obviously we have uh, Sue Storm Richards from the. Uh, Fantastic Four. Uh, it starts ten years ago at the uh, at the Bazelstan Hungary border uh, in Europe, and uh, we see Sue and her partner at the time, uh, her, her her partner in spying, her partner in espionage, a guy called Aiden. Um, you know, trying to smuggle some folks over the over the border. Um, I almost have to be careful going through this because I only read number two last night. Oh yeah, and I don't want to get story details mixed up. Who okay. did the art on this? The art is uh, the art is Matteo de, de, de Elias, and I think it's computer generated. Is it? It's potentially. It's really yeah, smooth. It's it's, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's really, really lovely. lovely. It's really lovely. Um, so yeah, we see Sue uh, making really uh, interesting use of her powers. Um, you know, turning guns invisible in order that they, you know people have trouble shooting them and, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, we see a relationship between her and Aiden. Uh, nice save, Square Josh. She says, "Don't mention it, Stormy. I will. Great save. So cocky. You know. So these two have clearly uh, have a have a working relationship, yeah. friendly working relationship. Good rapport. Um, yeah, great rapport. Uh, they are under the auspices of Nick Fury, but uh, it's a long time since we've seen the original Nick Fury. Uh, so it's great to see him in here. Um, and we pick up in New York City, uh, you know, as Sue sheds her uh, her spy gear, and uh, under it she has her Fantastic Four uniform and says, you know, Aiden saying, uh, any chance I can catch some personal time? And she says, sorry, Square Jaw, but I'm engaged, and even if I'm even if it weren't, I'm pretty busy. She floats off an invisible disc saying, I have a day job. We all know what a day job is. <laughs> Fantastic Four uniform picks up today. Um, we see, you know, Sue introducing herself. She says she's a kaleidoscope. She's an adventurer, a mother, a wife, a big sister, a friend. Uh, you know, she's one of the Fantastic Four. She spent years touring the wonders of the multiverse. Um, you know, uh, but you know, she's witnessed sights, galaxies birthing, galaxies dying. You know, spectacles of cosmic splendor but the most beautiful thing in it is this and she's just having a really quiet perfect cup of coffee decent haircut sitting reading a book um you know she's using her powers uh quirkily and she's summoned someone to uh langley virginia 
where uh, yeah, she seems she's she's about to be to be put to work by um, by Shield. Um, it seems that her former body, Aiden Squarejaw, uh, has been uh, has been captured. Isn't that right? Yeah. And uh, he left only one uh, coded message, only one word. Stormy, her nickname for him. Or for or his nickname for her, bigger yeah, part. That's it. So uh, so yeah, so Sue is uh, re enlisted again as an agent of Shield and uh, she we we see now this must be years later and we see uh, the new Nick Fury, Nick Fury's sure. son, uh, who she's now working with, and she's insisting that she's gonna be going after after Aiden. Um, I love the disdain with which the uh, CIA chief talks. Miss Richards, we brought you in from your pretty little superhero world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, Sue uh, pilots an invisible craft to Madripoor, which we all know in Marvel is the island of scum and villainy, um, where, uh, again, they've sort of depowered. Over the years, Sue's become really, really powerful. She's considered the most powerful member of the Fantastic Four. But for this, they seem to have brought her down to a more... Um, a more manageable power level so she heads to Murderpoor she's using her powers quite in a, in a really interesting way and she meets up with uh, Black Widow who has been expecting her so yeah really enjoyed the first issue of this uh, second issue is very good as well so um, I'm looking yeah. Mark Wade um, Mark Wade had plenty going on this month um, do you want me just to get straight into his other book I go for it um, Mark Wade's other book being The History of the Marvel Universe a pretty big one yeah <laughs> um, so uh, Mark Wade Javier Rodriguez with uh, Alvaro Lopez um, it's the first of sorry Invisible Woman is how many issues I think it's going to be five five and uh, History of the Marvel Universe six six so first issue of this was fantastic it took the Marvel Universe from uh, it's it is exactly what it says in the tin it's it starts off with Galactus and Franklin Richards, the last remaining, uh, the last remaining sentient creatures at the end of time, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been so long that Franklin can't remember history, can't remember what's happened to him, what he's been through, and so asks Galactus to retell him effectively. Mm-hmm. And Galactus, so the whole thing is a bedtime story. Yeah, effectively, <laughs> it's an end of an end of the yeah. universe story, uh, a story about the universe told at the end of the universe. It's kind of lovely. Uh, and it starts with the, the very very beginnings of the, the, the Marvel Universe where uh, with the second big bang where Galactus or, or uh, Gale and Ta comes through the, the person who will become Galactus is the last survivor of the old universe and is shot through to the new universe and uh, talks about the Watchers it goes through all the, the really the major points of the Marvel Universe it goes right through the Asgardian Gods and the, the Inhumans and the Eternals and the Birth of Mutants, uh, everything, the whole. So this this takes us from right through prehistory. The, the Jason Aaron's um, one million years BC Avengers yeah. uh, are in there. So what they're doing is they're effectively tying everything in together. All the old stuff, all the new stuff going. This is the official chronology of the Marvel Universe at this mm, at this present cool. time. Um, not only that, but in the back it's all referenced. So the bits that Galactus is telling. Um, Franklin 
it'll go you can find this and issue such and such of that you can find that and issue such and such of that you can, mm-hmm. cool. you can find this about you know the or, the origin of apocalypse and rise of apocalypse issues one to four you can you know so it's a really good way of just going through and going oh if it was interesting that I could you know yeah. but it in itself is a good tale it's really cool uh, and it all joins together very very nicely so I enjoyed this really looking forward to the next one so Mark Wade's Invisible Woman and Mark Wade's History of the Marvel Universe great to see Mark Wade back at it again yeah. He's been a he's been a mainstay of the Marvel universe for a long, long, long time, and it's been a while since yeah. you know he's been he's been at it, you know. And he's been work. having sort of issue legality uh, legal issues, I should say. Oh, with the pricks, yeah, comic skits, stuff yeah, that's right. I don't know. He was crowdfunding and stuff like that for people to yeah look after legal costs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's good to see him doing what he does best, and that's. Yeah, just writing great comics. Yeah, exactly. So highly recommend that uh, history of the Marvel Universe if you're in any way a fan of the Marvel Universe. Or well, maybe a good wee segue from that, just be quickly into Marvel's epilogue number one. Um, so <clears throat> Marvel's itself, of course, has recently went through its uh, its annotated editions, um, really premium wow. books for a premium story. Twenty fifth anniversary, twenty fifth anniversary of Marvel's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, you've listened to this podcast before. You've heard me say about you know obviously Keith introducing me to Marvels and just how how highly I would regard it now. Uh-huh. Uh, but this was the first time there's been some new material. Yeah. Um, this is a brand new 16 page story. Kurt Busiek back writing. Um, Alex Ross back on art and, and what a beautiful you want to talk it is. beautiful art. You look at this book. Yeah. Oh, so good, so good. It uh, it takes place in a classic. Uh, within a classic X-Men story um, I remember reading it at the time um, or not at the time I've read it since in the 70s and the X-Men are down at uh, is it like Central, Central Park um, I don't know where the place is in the middle of New York Rockefeller Centre the Rockefeller Centre and they're all in their civvies uh, so you can Nightcrawler yeah Colossus Storm Jean Grey Cyclops Banshee Kitty Pride um there's some. There's even on this page. There's some cameos. There's uh, Nick Fury, by the looks of it, and uh, well, there's Wolverine. I think that's maybe Matt Murdock, Daredevil. Uh, mm. Not sure, but Phil, Phil. Um, what's our Phil's surname? Come on now. Phil Sheldon. Phil Sheldon. There you are. Writer knows writer. <laughs> um, Phil Sheldon's out with his two now sort of nearly grown up daughters, um, and I guess he's more or less retired from the from the whole Marvels thing. He's he's sort of lost his lost his mojo a wee bit, or he's he's been too close to it for too long, and uh, and all of that. And he he, t- he talks about this and that and the other and uh, the things that he's been through, and then the Sentinels attack the X Men uh, here at the Rockefeller Center and. Uh, they, they're called to action with Phil and his daughter stuck in the middle um, we watch his banshee screams and sort of blows off his own costume flies into the air and then there's a there's a really seminal scene where um, Storm calls down the lightning you know and next thing she's fully costumed in her, in her classic uh, classic leather leather costume uh, and together they take on the sentinels as the girls watch absolutely awestruck by what's happening, all illustrated in the gorgeous, uh, the gorgeous paints of Alex Ross. Um, we see the aftermath as the police try and tidy up, and the girls still don't want to leave. They've been snapping away on their cameras. Um, you know, uh, there's a strange wee moment where Nova appears uh, to help the cops tidy up, 
again i think <laughs> it's like, can i help or something <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> He uh, the, there's a reason he was included because he was he was around at the same time and I think uh, Kurt Busiek felt like he needed to include one of the, the newer generation of heroes at that time as well. So uh, and the girls, of course, who are new generation of photographers are absolutely enamoured by this new hero. Mm. You know, so the X Men are older heroes that Phil has already chronicled uh, their entire history. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you know, so this is a new generation of Marvels and this is a new generation of of people here interested in chronicling it so and we you know we see a bit of uh, a bit of a montage of phil's history the the uh, birth of the original android human torch fights between the thing and, and hulk um you know the caps cookie, cookie quartet uh mole man's monsters that classic giant man striding across the buildings the sentinels um yeah so uh, yeah, it's it's Phil's kind of yeah, it's just great. It's just uh, you know he's explaining to them that all the cool things he's seen. It's scary. It's exciting. It's thrilling. All of it at once, you know. And then it's uh, it's off to a cab because their mom's gonna freak out whenever she finds out that I let you two stay up and watch, <laughs> you know. So I guess the 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 inference is that those girls are ready to pick up where he left off. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. So so yeah, lovely. Lovely, very, very good. Some great, really beautiful. Some great background material as well. Um, it doesn't have the annotations that I think we've come become used yeah. to after Marvel's annotated. But <clears throat> it's basically a big long interview, isn't yeah, it? Alex Ross and Dusek, and you know, you even have a reproduction of that classic yeah, X Men page. Uh, you know, you look at the yeah, you look at the classic page in Uncanny X Men, and then you look back at at, uh, at Alex Ross Alex Ross's version of it. Mm. You know. Yeah, it's very interesting yeah, sort of comparison uh, between an older art style. Really, really, really good. Sorry, that wasn't really good radio. Marvel that. Yeah, so very, very good stuff. Uh, the the implication is is that you know um, I guess this will be the last of Busek and Alex Ross yeah. working on Marvels, which is a sad thought, but uh, great that they you know. They're talking about maybe they'll come back and revisit it in fifty years' time. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose what's interesting because Marvels <coughs> came out twenty five years ago, you could easily do a follow up book, follow, filling in what happened in the twenty five years since. Oh yeah, with easily, yeah. the girls taking up the baton. From. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Deadpool, X Force. Oh, <laughs> Ghost Rider. Well, I was thinking more sort of Civil War. And, yeah. yeah, You know, Secret Invasion, yeah. and you know, well, stuff that like the, that. That was the thing about the end of Marvels. It was Danny Ketch was the Ghost Rider who appeared. Yeah. He was the kid. So, anyway, Marvels Apple, <laughs> that was worth the wait. Um, good Is stuff. That the what I'm trying to say is that Alex Ross's first sequential stuff in a long long time uh, I would say I so. Think so yeah and obviously he's been doing a lot of covers recently he does Captain America covers Immortal Hulk covers um, I think it is though I is he doing some stuff for Dynamite he, he, again he does covers he's done The Shadow Green Hornet he's done a lot of stuff like that but mm. Um, cool when you're as good as he is you only need to do covers yeah <laughs> I would love some original Alex Ross pieces there's that that particular one of Spider-Man standing fighting standing in the window mm-hmm. uh, fighting Green Goblin you know and it's just looking the people looking out of the window yeah it's from their point of view it's fantastic really lovely oh, ridiculously talented guy mm-hmm. um yes yeah, so that was Marvel's epilogue number one uh 
But a Savage Sword of Conan, maybe not? Yeah, just a quick quick mention. Um, the Conan books are still going really strong. Um, there's two two real core Conan books. I guess Conan the Barbarian, Savage Sword of Conan. And Jim Zub uh, from, uh, I guess, the, those Avengers 12-parters and right of other bits has uh, has picked up Savage Sword of Conan from Jerry Dugan um, with issue 7. So... Uh, uh, Patrick Zercher is on the art. Look at that! Isn't that awesome? Um, so, uh, picks up with Conan walking in on uh, what looks like he's uh, a merchant about to be set upon by some lads. Uh, Conan, of course, tears him apart. In some cases, literally, and uh, finds himself a job with with this merchant, Maratus um, uh, Matiri. Uh, and Conan is his usual usual self, you know, he's only interested in gold, um, you know, so if you want to hire me, you best have your skills handy, um, you know, but Conan accompanies uh, the merchant to uh, the Demon's Den, which is a betting house and bodry house and so forth and so on, where he is to meet the owner of the house, Conan's a wee bit, what the hell, um, he meets a mysterious woman, as Conan is often wont to do, uh, she gives him some sort of fortune-ish type thing, um, and uh, we meet Caro the Callus, who is the, the owner of the house, and uh, our merchant, uh, who now considers Conan as his brother in arms, and uh, ties Conan into a deal with this game, this card game. Um, you know, Conan's effectively a second. They play this game called Serpent's Bluff. It's a deceptively simple card game and they actually explain the rules. Each player tries to assemble cards in front of them, totaling as close to 13 as possible without going over. There are special cards that add complications. A serpent can eat other cards, adjusting the total. A king protects from a serpent attack, a which allows a player to see a hidden card. Um, all the special cards can be played face down as a bluff, beating the other player to call it out if they do and the wrong a penalty is paid. So anyway, uh, things go bad when Marauders has a heart attack and dies and leaves Conan to uh, sheath his sword because he's totally outnumbered and the only way that he can find his way out of this is to sit down and take over the card game with uh, Kello the Callus okay, uh, cool. and thus hither, became, hither came Conan the Gambler but it was a really great story and not only that, but they've included uh, downloads of all the cards and the rules of the card game. Oh, so you can nice. play it yourself, yeah. this, this Serpent's... Uh, it sounded really cool when you said that. Actually. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. That could be um, awesome. You know, so yeah, so it's, it's pretty pretty gravy. So I really, really enjoyed Conan. Uh, the Conan stuff uh, has been going great. Jim Zub on Savage Sword with Patrick Zercher. The art's great. Yeah, so, I need to get on Savage Sword. Yeah, I think you should. Uh, yeah. Just jock the wood. <laughs> cool so Savage Sword of Conan um, under one of the Marvel books I'm sort of enjoying at the moment uh, Daredevil uh-huh. uh, Sadarsky continues to impress with his uh, take on the life of Matt Murdock at the moment um, which is very much a Matt Murdock book at the moment rather than a Daredevil book okay. mm-hmm. um, issue 8 has a very simple setup. Uh, Matt has been getting quite close to um, a woman who works in a bookshop he's been enjoying going to well he's been stalking her in a real creepy way essentially yeah. yeah I mean I didn't want to go as creepy as that but you're not wrong yeah. um, she even calls him a retail creep yeah <laughs> uh, 
Um, because he, Matt's always been a confident guy and he always seems to think that every woman he meets is instantly attracted to him. But he, his, uh, his ego was really badly hurt. I think it was in the last issue when there was no increased heartbeat from her. There was no extra perspiration. He was just like, this woman is not attracted to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, she calls him a retail creep, which she defines as a guy who mistakes excellent customer service for affection and flirting. Um, but uh, yeah, the crux of the issue is that uh, he's invited to, um, to dinner with this woman. He does know she's married. It's going to be dinner with her husband and family. Um, and then the rest, of, there is a little uh, interlude with uh, Wilson Fisk chatting with a senator, I believe. Yeah, senator about uh, legislation that's going to help. Uh, it's going to help um, the governor, and uh, I guess. Um, uh, well, Fisk is trying to go. Is trying to go straight, I guess, as the mayor of New York, you know. Yeah, because uh, he's giving away all of his criminal interests yeah, at this exactly. point. Exactly, you know, he's trying to make all his income legal and so forth and so on. But he's still very much the kingpin. Yeah. Um, as we can see, whenever the governor says, uh, "You know, Fisk, I've I, I got to say, I was a little nervous meeting you out here," and Fisk goes, "Do tell." I mean, your reputation. Can I admit something? I actually had my men snipers all set up in the woods behind us in case you know something went south. Fisk goes, "I know." Shoots a bird out of the air. My men were behind your men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not one up in him. Uh, so yeah, the rest of the issue is just essentially Matt at dinner with um, this family. But what he didn't pick up on was that she's actually married into a crime family. Um, you sort of see it bit by bit uh, with Matt realizing where it's just like, oh shit, and all this kind of stuff. And he ends up sitting at the uh, table with, uh, where are we? The name, it's like the Libri family. The, the Libri family, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, which. Uh, Most notable for never suffering any major arrest, multiple assaults, possession of weapons, one attempt to pin tax fraud on a cousin, that's it. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is the woman who he has been flirting with and all the rest, she clearly doesn't. She knows what she's married into, but she doesn't really approve of much of it. She just sort of craves for a normal life. But there's a really great panel where she's just very sadly eating at her dinner. Um, where he's, you can see Matt has said, I probably would have declined the invitation if I'd known. Um, and you can just tell, you know, she's a bit depressed about it. Well, kind I of have a normal feel like, conversation. I feel, like, I feel like she nearly invited Matt to make them, or to certainly make her husband think, or jealous, or annoyed, or something. You know. Yeah, just to provoke a reaction, I yeah. suppose, as much as anything. But yeah, it gets quite, it gets quite tense. The conversation, it's very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting conversation because it's all about, obviously, they're a crime family and Matt's very firmly on the side of the law and he starts lecturing them about how, you know, the life of a criminal is about theft and harm and one of them actually starts laughing and says, look, pal, you want to talk equality? This entire city is built on inequality. I grew up watching neighbourhoods get gutted by the rich, working class people making the city livable. Then the wealthy fucks take notice and swoop in, ban it up, hiking up the rents. Meanwhile, your people, the lawyers in your $1,000 suits, throw the book at guys trying to get by in a system that won't let them. You know, it becomes a very ethical debate, and it's it's very grown up, very intelligent, and it's very interesting. Um, and as you say, it all gets very tense, and then all comes to a head when bullets start flying through the window. And Matt actually does his best to save all of these criminals, yeah, yeah, yeah. which in itself is interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm just really really digging Daredevil. I have read issue nine as well, um, 
which is a really wonderful issue. Follows that up wonder, uh, brilliantly as well. So. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's Sadarsky continuing to do the, the Lord's work on Daredevil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I suppose we'll finish off the, uh, the wee Marvel, well, the second Marvel section, I suppose. You wanted to show a bit of love the way of Jason Aaron. Surprise, surprise. Well, for the second time tonight, yeah. I mean, it does come up increasingly in our in our conversations, I guess. So, uh, this was a nice book, Thor, number uh, 15. Um, why was it nice? Uh, Is that our friend Isab Ribic on the cover, was it? Uh, that... Is Mike Del Mondo on the cover? Uh, who Analogies. is also is also the cover? Is also the the Interior internal artist. It's gorgeous. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, we have uh, the moment where uh, I guess this is the this is the summation and the end of uh, War of the War Realms. Realms. This, uh, you know, so we're summing it all up because um, uh, Odin is now now declared Thor to be the All Father. Uh, he's given up the the role of All Father. And uh, it kind of calls back. Do you remember the issue of Thor, where we had Thor and Odin fighting, and the whole way through, Odin was talking to himself, going, "I can't tell you that I, yes, you yeah, know." So this is this is sort of it. Uh, Thor goes, "Father, you cannot mean." He goes, "By all the gods, hold holy, I do, boy. After everything you've been through, you have earned this more than any Asgardian who has ever lived." So he's finally able to tell Thor what he after the the, the War of the Realms, you know, and you know what he thinks of them so it's kind of lovely um we've got uh jane has absorbed the uh the war thor's hammer into her into her body and is becoming something something else um so it's all it's the cleanup really from from war of the realms um you know loki and and uh, all of that stuff um and the the final the final fate of malekith so is this uh, is Thor just going to be for a couple of issues then, and then it's going to lead into King Thor? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that's it. But what's kind of that's kind of interesting. Where was it? Um, uh, you know, Thor decides he can't. He can't. Um, he has to decide. He has to become the Thor. I am still my own Thor, you know. But he can't turn his back on the on the realms, especially after after now that the. That's great as need, you know. Um, and that this is the bit, you know. Orton goes, "I know what you need, Thunder God. I have always known. I was just too weak, too much of a damn card, but not anymore." Uh, Odin is the way, uh, and the wrath, and the wonder. Odin is the All God. Odin is Asgard. Odin is, and Odin. Odin is proud of you, Thor. Uh, in the name of all gods, I am proud of my son. And uh, he's got all three of the Thors. Remember, if you remember, War of the Realms ended with uh, Thor getting all the Thors from all the times. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of interesting. And then we see Malekith ends, you know, and it looks like uh, the the gods of death, the goddesses of death, are, are uh, going to use the the moths that tore his body apart. Uh, and in actual fact, they uh, they make him watch as his younger self is is licked and uh, <laughs> and plays with all these puppies for eternity so it was kind of it was just a nice it was just a nice end to to the war of the realms anyway uh thor uh, 15 we're getting very very close to to the end of orange run now um i don't know if we if he has any more on the regular thor said there to be concluded so yeah. um i would imagine you'll have definitely one more issue there next month we bid mike Del mundo an emotional goodbye for the final issue of thor 
and then starting in September, Jason Arn reunites with artist Eastside Riddick for the conclusion to the epic run they began seven years ago. This is the book you can't miss, Jason Arn's last Thor story, King Thor. So yeah, coming to an end, finally. Oh, the tears that you will shed. Oh, oh I'm telling you. <laughs> I am telling you. And all the Thor books you'll have to read. <laughs> Friendly Neighbourhood Spider-Man 6, eat your heart out. The tears will be flowing. Um, but Jay, you were saying there was another Jason Iron one? Yes, the, whenever we're in Jason Iron land, we'll, we'll pick up uh, Avengers 21. Um, so this was a really interesting one. Did you have Kristen the hot tub issue? <laughs> <laughs> so it's really interesting. Again, it's the finale of, you know, it's after the, uh, the War of the Realms and we have Avengers Mountain, the undersea levels, the day after the war. Thor, as we know, is now worthy of his hammer again. And he's, he drops it and he picks it up. And he, Thor, someone says, Iron Man, who's Tony Stark, he's sitting wearing his Iron Man helmet. They're, they're sitting in this hot tub. You know, this natural hot tub in the undersea levels. Are you going to keep doing that? Aye, I hope so. You know, and it's clear that Thor is still worried that he might not be worthy, so he keeps picking the hammer up. <laughs> so you're seeing that, you're seeing his, he's not quite, he's not yeah. his insecurity, you know. Meanwhile, you know, uh, Steve turns up, you know, and he just can't switch off, you know. Um, you know, uh, Tony says, see other lies, and he goes, you've always been the only god I'd follow to hell and back. Uh, and you can tell Hercules I said that. Stark, your words strike me like lightning, my comrade, even though we have not always seen eye to eye. Not even going to make an eye joke. Not going to do it. Because <laughs> Thor obviously lost his eye. Know that, if I could have the only I could have only one mortal to stand by my side, no matter what foe we faced, Tony says, you choose Steve. We'd all choose Steve. <laughs> well, I, I suppose so. But if the fight was in midair, <laughs> Steve in full costume turns up at the hot tub. Who are we fighting? I've got a Quinjet standing by. Steve just can't turn off. You know, and the guys go, lad, get in here and have a soak. You know what I mean? So... The big three now end up in the hot tub, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, it turns Steve out Steve using the shield to protect his modesty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and uh, five minutes. There are reports of a few straggling trolls still left in, and uh, Thor goes sending a thunderstorm. <laughs> Tony goes sending a Hulkbuster armor. Okay, maybe six minutes. Oh boy, Avengers is <laughs> you know so. <laughs> It's going pretty well. Black Panther, meanwhile, who is uh, in charge, is visiting uh, Phil Coulson, who's up to some creepy things with this mysterious Squadron Supreme, and it looks like he's got a whole lot of original Nick Fury life model decoys protecting him. So that doesn't go well. Um, uh, back in the uh, back in the uh, in Avengers Mountain, um, I guess. Uh, she Hulk's returning, having uh, having uh, been fighting a lot of trolls and stuff at the end, and uh, blades they're they're hanging out and uh, talking about being monsters. Uh, Ghost Rider and Captain Marvel are out in the middle of the sea, taking on the last of the muscle hound fire sharks, and they're talking about you know Ghost Rider. He's still really insecure about his powers and so forth, and so on, and and that uh, they end up heading back to the hot tub. Um, you know it's. Uh, Captain Marvel gets in and uh, interestingly Robbie Ray's Ghost Rider he gets in with a Spider-Man t-shirt on he's the only one that's not willing to take off his shirt get into the hot tub as if he's at school like <laughs> you know so it's a really um, it's a really interesting you know you're seeing the Avengers relax in this in this hot tub and then 
And then Hulk turns up, She-Hulk turns up, says make room, she's completely naked. She goes, Hulk coming in. Steve averts his eyes, oh lord. <laughs> Tony can't help but look. Hot tub of miracles. <laughs> or Thor's just, huzzah! <laughs> Captain Marvel's covering his eyes. <laughs> so it's, uh, oh, it's, a re- it's just a really lovely issue. Um, you know, about, I guess about families. And at the end we've got, you know, we've got the, all the insecurities, you know, uh, someone says, well, oh, look well, at those thought bubbles. Yeah, I know. Look thought at those bubbles. thought bubbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, someone says, when we're all open and comfortable together, Stark's thinking, I think I'm just a backup copy of the real Tony Stark. Would the real Tony Stark like this hot tub so much? Uh, Steve's listing all the things, Starbrand, the Paralite, Neymar, the Squadron, Russians, what else? <laughs> you know, uh, She-Hulk's in the background asleep. You know, Thor looks around at his hammer and his his head. He's saying, "What was that? Did I just stop being worthy? I should pick up the hammer again." But what if I can't? You know, and Captain Marvel, she's getting close. She goes, "We're not ready yet. Not yet. We have to be. We have to be ready when the Kree come." And Ghost Rider, he's going, "I'm still terrified." You know, so it's it's a really lovely it's a really lovely issue. You know, just of them them getting together and then those final thoughts of, you know, again that's why I missed thought bubbles, thought bubbles. <laughs> really good out, yeah. Nice one. Cool. <laughs> Jason Aaron can um, do no wrong. Well, I'm sure. As if, he, as if he couldn't already not do any more wrong, he then introduces thought bubbles. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> one la- uh, any more Marvel you want to throw in there as a quick one? Uh, uh, Fantastic Four Prodigal Son by Peter David, the first of three Prodigal Son books. Yeah, going across. Sort of a little mini event that's yeah. very under-advertised, but based on this first issue something to yep. keep an eye for it was very very good very well written by Peter David um, really showcased the Fantastic Four Shanna the She-Devil and uh, Kazar and their son some really fantastic dialogue really lovely dialogue um, between uh, Kazar and Shanna's son Matt and Valeria the son the daughter of Mr. Miss Fantastic so Worth a read. It's it's going through Silver Surfer and one shot. Guardians of Galaxy Galaxy one shot. Silver Surfer's out this week. Uh, Jason Aaron and Al Ewing on Jane Foster Valkyrie issue one was fantastic. Really, really good. A supporting character becoming a hero. (laughs) Wow. Well, this is the week for it. Um, With with Jason Aaron and Al Ewing on it, it's not going to be bad. Jason Aaron Avengers and we just spoken about him. Al Ewing and Mortal Hulk. Um, There's some really good stuff going on there. Um, Wolverine Blade was good fun, good crack. Uh, the new arc of Gar- Ghost- Guardians of the what do you call them? Guardians, Guardians of, of the Galaxy. Galaxy. <laughs> the death of Rocket that was shocking. Uh, Captain America and the Invaders was just a fantastic. Uh, it was Captain America's first adventure, effectively, wasn't it? Yeah. With uh, with the Human Torch, there was a Human Torch. Was a really great book. And I think finally for me, um, Nick Spencer's. Spider-Man 25 was a great story. It kind of has reset the status quo of Spider-Man after Hunted back to a place where I, I guess Nick Spencer maybe was reading Spider-Man at that time and thought, I like the status quo with uh, Peter at uh, Peter at college and Mary Jane as an actress and supermodel. So there was a whole lot of wee throwbacks to that and uh, just a great story, Mysterio, uh, Electro, uh, the female Electro and um, some really great 
a really great role for Mary Jane and the revelation of this new villain that's been hanging in the background and what they're up to. So looking forward to seeing where Amazing will be going going forward. So I think that sort of calls it a day for me. <laughs> and then he reveals the book at the bottom of the pile. <laughs> that's one you wanted to talk about, I believe. Yeah, I think at this point, approaching the three R mark, I think we'll just throw in one more big review, and that'll probably be us for the night. But uh, yeah, easily one of the best things I've read this year. Um, I've been sort of slightly not not fighting Keith on this, but maybe refusing to accept that this will probably be the series <laughs> of the year. And uh, after I read this issue, I may have messaged him and went. You might be right. <laughs> uh, this, of course, is as we talk about every month, but there's a reason for that. It really is that good. Um, this is Spider-Man Life Story, uh, Chip Zdarsky writing, Mark Bagley on art, and we've now reached the 2000s. And this was an issue similar to Last Night on Earth 2 in a way in that the more I read it, I just kept thinking this can't get better, and it just kept yeah. getting better. Mm. Um, I mean, even just from the cover straight away, you know, a little play on Captain America's outfit, but also incorporating the twin towers there as well. Mm -hmm. um, simple but brilliant. A bit like the idea for this, which is in general that Spider-Man ages normally from 1962 right up till now. You know, so and it's continuing. So um, and it's a very dark opening. It is, and this was uh, this was a revisit in a story. It was actually a Peter David story, if I recall, uh -huh. that was not terribly well accepted at the time. Uh, it wasn't considered to be awesome. Um, yeah, like who the hell is this guy? That so we should Moreland? So Moreland, just, yeah. just to reiterate, I mean, the issue four ended with Peter sort of retiring to the suburbs with Mary Jane and yep. the two kids, leaving Ben Riley. Um, and Ben Riley has taken over as the Spider-Man protecting New York, mm -hmm. and is killed by Moreland in the first two issues of this series <laughs> this this issue yeah um, meanwhile Peter is uh, safe at home with his two grown up kids and Mary Jane um, he's obviously in his what 50s now uh, yes I would say so mm -hmm. teens in the yeah and he says obviously uh, sees that on TV that Spider-Man is dead and revealed to be uh, industrialist Peter Parker because of course the world thinks that Ben Riley is Peter Parker. Yeah. Peter Par Peter willed everything to Ben, gave him Parker Industries and all of that. So um, it becomes clear that over the years on his trips to New York, Peter has been taking his mask with him and doing little heroic things here and there. And his uh, his daughter, who is not called May, she's called Claire. Um, you know, sort of inspires him a wee bit. Uh, we see a shot there of uh, the masked Peter Parker helping out at the the destruction of the Twin yeah. Towers. Uh, which kind of is a call back to that uh, classic issue of Spider-Man that was released whenever the towers fell. Jay Michael Straczynski. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? Moreland was Jay Michael Straczynski as well. It wasn't Peter David, my mistake. Oh, is it the same run? Was yeah, it, the, it was. That yeah. Coming Home one? Yeah, was it was. It? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that uh, that sort of narration alone, just for obviously 9-11 is wonderful. You know, the city was in chaos. People without powers were sacrificing themselves. Of course, you helped. I saw you on the news, just a quick shot, and I knew... But even then, it took me months to realize you had the mask on you. You took it with you. You'd done this before. Mm -hmm. Because the dad I know, he can't turn away when he sees people in need. Um, so I guess we're, we're at the center here of uh, Secretary Stark, who's the Secretary of Defense now, 
Um, Mark Bagley's a classic Spider-Man artist. He's a seminal Spider-Man artist of the, the 90s. Um, I do maybe wish that he could he could maybe make it look because that suit of Starks looks like it's from the 70s. And you could, you could maybe change the fashion a wee bit, you know, and maybe, I guess, keep up a wee bit. But that would be my only complaint. Um, so we have Secretary Stark waiting for Peter and uh, he's talking about the uh, superhuman registration. We're obviously right in the core of the Civil War here. Um, uh, Stark reveals his his Avengers um, uh, just uh, as as Morlin uh, trying to track down Peter lands with uh, Peter's children and Mary Jane um, comes through the wall. Uh, Peter's trying to avoid being taken down by the Avengers because he refuses to register um, until uh, our man Cap and his new Avengers consisting of Captain America, Hawkeye, Luke Cage. Uh, cloak and dagger uh, appear to help uh, Spider-Man out I against the old Avengers. Yeah, kind of old, kind of old new <laughs> old Avengers. Uh, so, and then of course Stark's Avengers are much younger, and they seem to be analogs of of, of Iron Fist, She Hulk, Captain Marvel, War Machine, and <clears throat> what Black Widow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the way that those Avengers are introduced is just superb. You know that these guys are taking Peter down. That's like. Iron Man saying too much work to do, too many people who need help, that's what we do, Peter Unified Front, keeping the world safe, and Peter's sort of mumbling a little bit, but he's like, not sure I agree, not sure he does either, and then bang, just Captain America Shield comes in, takes two of them down, and then it's like Avengers Assemble, uh, just brilliantly done, so it was. Yeah, they, they, they mesh the battle between the, the Stark's Avengers and Cap's Avengers uh, with the battle that... Um, Claire and Benjamin, uh, Peter's children, are having against Moreland to try and project Mary Jane, and it seems to be a losing battle. It becomes clear that uh, Peter's children are both super fast and super strong, so they've inherited some of their father's uh, genetics. Um, but it seems to be a losing battle um, until uh, until they realise that. Uh, that Claire was able to hurt Morlin while he was absorbing her life energy that he's that he's vulnerable while he's feeding mm-hmm. um, so um, they come up with a plan where Benji will sacrifice himself when Claire takes him out sort of thing uh, meanwhile in New York Peter has uh, headed Parker Industries and he's grabbing some of his some of his uh, spider armor um, changed back into Spider-Man um, yeah, we, we see that battle finish. We see, um, we see Benji, the brother, sacrifice himself. Uh, you know, when Morlin feeds on him, uh, Claire takes him out. Do we get the impression that Benjamin is dead here, or seem to think so? But then, yeah, I mean, even the line is there are too many dead. Yeah, you know, in the same line. Um, yeah, I would assume he's dead at that point. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Peter now appears dressed in his new spider costume and uh, he uh, he uh, has a feel safe that uh, he's built you know to take out uh, start tech armor and he does so takes down uh, the, the Avengers all at once using his smarts rips off Tony's, Tony's helmet and uh, you know I guess um, we realise that this is actually a hologram of Tony rather than Tony himself and uh 
you know, I guess we end up with uh, with uh, Cap and uh, with Spider Man joining joining Cap's Avengers, uh, joining that side of the Civil War. Uh, yeah. So, and that's it. Uh, Cap says, "We'll deal with it together, son." <laughs> and Peter goes, <laughs> "Son, <laughs> we're both old men, Cap. We need to do what old men should do and leave the world a better place before we go." So that's obvious leading into 2010s. Yeah, great, great. I'm really looking forward oh, to reading this all together. 28th of August cannot come soon enough. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, we were speculating a little bit earlier about how it will end. I personally think it'll be the introduction of Miles Morales and then yeah. he will become a Superman, or sorry, a Spider-Man for a new generation almost and Peter will sort of die happy knowing there's someone there to take his place. There'll be tears. There'll be mm. tears, Alan. Yep, absolutely. So, and he what, still doesn't what is it with Spider-Man number sixes? Yeah. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, Wildstorm finished this month. I think it's twenty fourth issue. Uh, looking forward to Wildcats picking up after that by Warren Ellis. Flash Year One finished. I'd say that's going to make a fantastic trade. So yeah, fantastic month. Oof. Absolutely fantastic month. <laughs> And to be honest, we probably could have talked about I think more. There was, yeah, there was a few more. The you know, deceased continued to be great. Um, pu- I really enjoyed the Punisher annual. I know Keith wasn't as big a fan of it. Again, going back oh, to the no, hu- no, again uh, going back to the humor aspect. Yeah, I enjoyed I, it. I enjoyed it all right. It just was a wee bit throwaway. Yeah. You know, I didn't think it was. I mean, and, yeah. Punisher essentially ended up on a spaceship on a on a rocket. With J. Jonah Jameson battling yeah. Russian and I've terrorist. got I've got that Venom annual, which <laughs> is also one of those active act evil, evil yeah. you know. So um, yeah, there yeah. was a couple of fun throwaways things like that because we also had Transformers. Oh yeah, still going strong. Green Lantern annual. Um, Farmhand number farm, ten. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about Little Bird finishing. Oh wow, okay. But we kind of talked about the hardcover on the last well, month's preview. Yeah. So, Canto yeah, number we'll two as well. Ooh, Canto's a Thai lamb enjoying. American Carnage finished as well. Um, Ghost Tree number four was brilliant little series from IDW as well. Same as Canto. God, yeah. Batman Universe like, number one with Bendis writing Batman, Nick Darrington on art. Just so much good stuff. Um mm-hmm. And very, very little of it throwaway. It was just that good. Um, I think ever since we've started doing the review shows, ever since we started doing the podcast, really, I don't think there was a month to rival it. Really. Oh, I think you could be right. I think you um, could be right. You know, the, the, I do think the standards at the moment are just ridiculously high. Whether it's DC, Marvel, or Indie, there's just brilliant stuff across the board. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Long may it continue. Long may it continue, indeed. Um, but that is a three-hour magnum opus to uh, finish off the month of July. How do folks get in touch with the store, Alan? As ever, pop into the store is always your best chance. Um, we're there six days a week. Uh, Smithfield Market. Uh, but keep up to date with us on all the social media stuff. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual. Search Coffee and Heroes. Uh, we like to be active on there. Cool. And how about yourself? You have plenty of stuff to promote and oh, push yeah. over the next few months. Trying to be, trying to be a bit more proactive with the old social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roddy McCants across the board. Um, 
Fracture Press as well. Oh, you're that Rory McCants. Yeah, that's me. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a, an exciting couple of weeks. I will be at Worldcon in Dublin this weekend, which is... Have to look up the dates. So what date is it? Is it the twelfth of August? We're on now. So well, we're recording and it's quarter past one in the morning, August. so it's thirteenth. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be a World Con this weekend, and then Titan Con the weekend after. Might have a panel on that. Might be joining a panel. No. So stay tuned. Um, yeah, I've got got news on my book coming out. So stay tuned. All the social media stuff for that, and yeah. Very cool, Roddy. What about you, Keith? Uh, this weekend, this week is um, the week leading up to Standoff Festival, the largest uh, outdoor camping music festival that Northern Ireland has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, headlined by Basement Jacks, Hot House Flowers, um, Brad of Oller, uh, really well-known acts, uh, and uh, filled out by the cream of the crop of Northern Irish and Irish acts, mm. um, independent acts. So that'll be taking place this Thursday the 15th to Saturday the 17th um, and at Ballymolly Cottage Farm in Limavady up north. Um, there are still some tickets available, family tickets and adult coming tickets, so if you're interested in good music there's no better way to experience it than Standoff Festival. Cool. Looking forward to it, it's going to be hard work. But So there you go, whether it's retail, writing or music. We got you covered. <laughs> Very busy bunch, uh, so we will reconvene in a couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. We'll that talk to you then. Uh, pleasure as always, gentlemen, and thank you, Keith, for explaining powers of ten to me. Not at all. Anytime, uh, my pleasure. <laughs> we'll see you again soon, guys. Take care. See ya. Bye. Bye.